couldn't handle the blanket not being folded. That's so funny. Look at him just folding it. It's this huge blanket, and he hates it when it's not folded, and I never fold it because I always use it. <laughs> and he doesn't know I'm talking about him right now, but like I can see him doing it. Well, he doesn't actually listen to the podcast, does he? So you won't hear this. No. Hear <laughs> you can say whatever you want about him. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> um, um, all right. With that, are you guys ready to get started then? Yeah. All right. Well, then let's kick off. Uh, welcome, everybody, to... Dance Robot Dance, episode number 63. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening or this morning or whenever the hell you're actually listening to this. Uh, I am Tim. I'm going to be hosting this evening. Uh, freshly back from vacation, rested and happy and dreading having to go back to work tomorrow. But uh, And with me tonight, I've got our usual crew going on a pretty good streak now. We've got Christy. Yeah, yeah. Fresh home from work, stuck in traffic. Fresh home from working out. So okay. uh, tell me how you work, 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 work. I'm sorry. That was bad. That's good. Really? I apologize. <laughs> and Christy's already singing. And, uh, and Mark. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing this week? Or this week after Monday? It's not the run. We haven't really had a week yet. <laughs> well, you, you know, you know how, how I thought I had the flu last week and I was feeling all crummy after our podcast and I thought it was it. Yes. Um, ends up uh, that did I miss a did I miss a bunch of chat or something like that? I don't remember any no, of this. No, you were here. Yeah, Christy was feeling sick at the end of our episode, or well, during our episode. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was like, well, and uh, ends up that I had strep throat Woo! and did not know I had the strep. Please tell me you stuck your tongue down Mark's throat and gave it to him. Oh, I don't know yet. <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> In my experience, it's like inevitable. Like if Alicia gets something, I get something. I get sick. If she gets it, I get it. Like it's you know when you're sharing a living space, it's almost impossible to not transmit it. Well, that's why I thought I had the flu. I was like, oh no, Mark had the flu. This is just me having the flu. Ends up, uh, no, I I I got strep and I had it like real bad. And the doctor was like, it's a really good thing you came in because this is, is real bad case of strep. And I didn't know it could turn into scarlet fever. Ooh. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. So, can it really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So untreated, if it's um, yeah, sometimes it can go away on its own. But I was getting progressively worse, and it was funny because Mark was in what well, was funny, but Mark was in um, uh, Ottawa, and I was panicked because Friday night I couldn't breathe through my mouth because my tonsils had swollen up so much that I, uh, I, I couldn't breathe. I could breathe through my nose, but it was like. Yeah, it was bad. It's exciting. Yeah, so I went to the walk-in clinic the next day, and he was like, yeah, it's a good thing you came in. I'm glad you didn't die. Yeah, yeah, me too. Then we would have only had two people for the episode this week. And then, you know, Mark would have been like, I never should have said all those things about the underwear fairy. (laughs) And then it ended up being something completely different. Yeah, I would only say that if the underwear fairy was the one who got you. (laughs) If it was strep, I'd just be like, well, at least she didn't get it's like that episode of The Simpsons where, like, they think they're going to die because a meteor is going to hit. And then the, the two sisters, Patty and Selma, are like, ooh, we beat cancer. It'd be like that kind of thing. <laughs> like, the underwear fairy didn't get her. Great. Great. Yeah. Glad that's, uh... Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, before we lose Christy really early this episode, uh, let's get into... 
this week's news, um, there has been a fair number of things going on. We're starting to get into a premiere season. I would say probably the biggest one was uh, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, the premiere aired uh, last night for us as of this recording, and I'm sure Mark has watched it. Yep. I haven't seen it yet. Don't say anything. No, I haven't watched it either yet because I was uh, said I was on vacation. I just got back this morning, so I'll probably try and watch it this week. But uh, initial thoughts, Mark? Just general impressions? Um, mixed right now. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at with it right now. So it was, um, yeah, yeah. We, we can talk about it later. I yeah. still I want to watch it again. I watched it last night all in one big shot and was not sure how I felt about it. It is very like it's very cinematic, mm-hmm. which is good and bad. Like it looks amazing. But the there's a bunch of stuff that I'm not super happy with. But yeah, that's sort of what I'm seeing seeing online as well is sort of uh, the jury's still out. Kind of, I've seen some people that have been like really yeah. positive. Other people are like, yeah, I don't know what to make of this yet. So I want really badly to be positive about it. So I'm like not I'm not clinging to like immediate hate kind of thing mm-hmm. because I think they can go somewhere cool with it. But the way they handled the first two episodes, I was like, well, people people were saying that like every Every um, new show needs those awkward moments of trying to, uh, like the the awkward couple first episodes where they're really trying to figure out what it is. Oh no! It's just Star Star Trek's notorious for having that like doesn't hit its stride till season two or three or in Voyager's case never, I guess. Oh no! When did Seven of Nine show up? Four, I guess. <laughs> Jesus! Wow, you're really just trying to fucking get Christy to quit tonight. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> she hasn't even, she this. hasn't eaten yet. You can't fucking uh, get. Yeah, I'm That's so true. angry. Yeah. <laughs> so angry. Got the angry face. Because um, I'm so angry right now. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, reserve judgment until I get a chance to watch the premiere again, and they actually get into the series proper. I think is kind of the other thing because the premiere is not what the show's going to be. I think going forward. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like it's uh, really highly serialized as well. So it's the sort of thing where you might not really get a good impression until a few episodes in at all. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping it'll make a good binge eventually, but we'll see. Like the 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 premiere is uneven. So yeah, mm-hmm. let's see. Did you guys see the sort of I don't know if it's news exactly, but there's been some commentary on uh, since we've been talking about Rick and Morty a lot lately on Rick and Morty's fans in particular. Yes, yeah. I'm so proud of Dan Harmon, even though he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> he can be uh, quite an asshole from from all accounts, but uh, yeah. Now, so basically, the story is that um, Rick and Morty's fans are just like 90 percent fucking garbage people um, that like th- identify with Rick or like you know like celebrate him as a character kind of thing. And I guess that sort of goes to like the fact that I've seen so many people cosplaying as Rick at uh, like dragon con and stuff like that as well um and online so uh mm-hmm. yeah there's clearly a lot of people that like think he's like some hero character or something like that and somebody to be emulated and uh obviously that is not the case for anybody that actually understands you know dan Harmon's sort of sense of humor and stuff like that in general and writing and yeah so he came out and uh and it, well, let's see this is an av club article uh that says Rick and Morty fans have slowly gained a reputation as some of the worst people on the internet, self-congratulating smug and worst of all mobilized. This trend culminated recently in a sustained campaign of harassment against the show's writing staff, uh, which in its latest season has come to include more female writers. Yeah, I know. 
Like the fact that these guys are like, oh, they're worse writers if you know the worst episodes are written by women. And I love that Dan Harmon was like, um, there's not just one person who writes every episode. Mm-hmm. It's at least a group of three to five people who are like the main writers. And, and like he has final say too, right? Like, yeah. So like he's oh, always going to have that like showrunner position where like he gets to, if something was bad, it's not getting by him. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, whatever. I know it killed me because I really wanted to do, I think season three ends this week. Like episode nine was this week. I think 10's next week. And I wanted to do Rick and Morty next week, and now I'm like bummed out about it. So we can still do Rick and Morty. It's just the fact that you know we. I think it's important we acknowledge the fact that there are douchebags out there who will. Uh, he said it best when he said, "Just because you make something good, you can't control your audience." Yeah, yeah. Can't be like, "Oh, only good people like my shit." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every, I mean, and it's really every fandom has like that segment of just dicks and assholes and stuff like that. Um, but unfortunately in this case, they're just really vocal and like you said, like they said in the article, mobilized. Well, he seems to, uh, kind of draw that kind of crowd to himself too. Like, I don't know what it was cause community's fan, uh, fan base was also kind of shitty. Online. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's because it's like, yeah, I think it's because it's like sort of pretty high concept and that tends to draw more of the sort of guys that really like sort of reference humor and stuff like that and that tends to be like have a pretty strong fucking overlap on the venn diagram of like men's rights activists and fucking fedoras and all that horse shit red pills and yeah but anyways at least dan Harmon came out and you know basically uh knocked knocked them down so uh, and a lot of a lot of them have said like, "Oh, I'm gonna stop watching now because they don't have my back." And really, who the fuck? Whatever. Yep. Anyways, moving on to happier things. Let me see what else do I have. Somebody dead? Like you're gonna have a death now because it's happier things? Uh, well, yeah. How about we do a sad one? Um, I don't think any of us watch Riverdale, but it is a thing. Not I've seen episodes of it. Yeah. I've only seen half of the first episode. I couldn't get through. Yeah, I. I uh, my sister was. My sister was watching it, um, or is watching it, or I'm not sure. Is it still on? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I've seen a couple episodes. It's pretty fucking abysmal. But, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I've been told, like, just get through it, because the story's kind of fun. But anyway, you're saying? Uh, anyways, they were filming the uh, second season of it uh, in this past week. Um, I think it's the guy that plays Archie. His name is KJ Appa. Was in a car accident after like a sixteen-hour day of filming, and he like fell asleep driving home. Basically, did he die? No, he's okay. He had like minor injuries. He uh, ran into a. Oh, you scared me. He just like ran off the road into a tree or something like that. I think. Oh Jesus! Yeah. So yeah, no no deaths, but uh, but an incident at least. Uh, And that's one thing I've always like thought was kind of shitty about hollywood and stuff like that is that a lot of the time they do have to work these really ridiculously long days just because they're trying to cram as much into uh the shooting time as they can so that they can save money or whatever but i don't know yeah you think they'd have like a driver in that case well sometimes you just you know he's probably a young guy who was very very tired they were like don't worry he's probably just like don't worry don't worry i'm good i'm good i'm good i'm good yeah what else Oh, we got the uh, Punisher trailer this week, which went up on our Facebook page, which I think Mark shared. But uh, I did. Yeah, it, uh, it looks pretty awesome. Yeah, it looks it's pretty spectacular. I'm very excited for that show. It looks like I don't know. I mean, obviously, you can't tell just from the trailer, but I'm hoping it's got a more consistent overall arc than the last couple shows have had. Like, it's just like one story. Mm-hmm. Do your thing kind of thing. But yeah, that trailer was like a masterclass. And like, 
we're going to take this, take a song and sync everything up to it and get everything working properly and like convey the right mood and stuff like that. And I think picking one, like the Metallica song is like, yeah. a, like the perfect fucking match for that character. So yeah, especially with like the fucking machine gun fire that was going along with the uh, snare beats and shit yeah, like that. The snare, the snare yeah. beats and shit like that. Yeah. It was fucking was wicked. Really- so I was, I'm, I'm very excited for that show. Like I'm um, as excited as I was for defenders and then, I don't want to say let down by defenders, but like kind of whatever. Yeah. Maybe it was more because of the conversation we had after the fact where everybody was poo pooing on it. It just wasn't. It wasn't great. Yeah. It was okay. I think we. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was. Well, it ended up kind of being like two on two. I think we had two people being like, "Yeah, yeah it was. It was pretty good," and a couple that were like, "Yeah, it was all right." Yeah. Anyways, I don't. know, I enjoyed it, but I, 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 I want to. I almost want to like go back and rewatch it now and be like, "I'm gonna watch it without." having the post dance robot dance dissection done to mm-hmm. it so that I can just like remember if I enjoyed it without having to think about any of that other stuff or not. So. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I know uh, I shit on it. I really did. I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not too much longer now, right? Like it's uh November. It's like the rumor. They haven't actually announced the okay. date. That trailer. If you notice the trailer uh, at the end, when they're like, with normally the date would be there, it still has 2017 on it, but they never actually get rid of the Netflix like labely stuff that goes over top of the day month. So they haven't announced when that comes out. Most people are assuming November, uh, that'll be Netflix's big November drop because October is already taken. Yeah. No, wait, no, Ragnarok is uh, beginning of November, isn't it? No, 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 Netflix, Netflix, oh. Netflix. Uh, Stranger Things is in October. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Marvel Netflix in particular. Mar- no, Marvel, no, 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 not no. Netflix. Okay. No, just just Netflix in general. I think uh, they do kind of do one exclusive show a month. I think pretty much they get a new season of one of their shows. Uh, okay, more or less. And I think November is still clear, so I'm assuming November will be Punisher. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's a Christmassy kind of show, so I think November would be the the ideal time to get it out. So yeah, let's see. There is more talk about another. Uh, Game of Thrones prequel. This one with uh, George R. R. Martin actually involved in it. Oh. Yeah. So this one, there's no information on what is it might be about or anything like that. But it is apparently like the fifth one that's rumored at this point. So, but this I think is the only one that uh, George R. R. Martin is actually like actively working on. Although why the fuck he's not writing Winter? I don't know. Yeah. So. Um, but apparently, it's uh, he's working on it with uh, one of the co-executive producers and writers of Game of Thrones, uh, Brian Cogman. So, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, where are all these coming? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's well, like we we said a while ago, right? Like they're um, sounds like they're basically gonna like fucking Thunderdome them. Like they're gonna put all the ideas together at one point, and then they're gonna pick like a couple of them that are sort of have the most potential and actually order pilots or whatever. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Uh, I don't know. Well, we already talked about Archie, so let's go back into that weird, weird world. Apparently, they're bringing like a sort of satanic version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch to the CW in sort of the same style as Riverdale. I'm just looking forward to the day they do the crossover with Supernatural and the boys shoot the stupid person in the face. That's what I want to see. That's my goal for this thing. <laughs> Is for the the supernatural boys to come and hunt it, hunt this girl. That's all I want to see. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it's going to be called the Chilling Adventures of of Sabrina. It's going to be a dark horror show designed to serve as a companion series to Riverdale, being planned for the 2018-2019 TV season. 
they're all over the place with those shows. They're doing a Charmed reboot next year too. So it's, oh yeah. Well, this is the really. time for nostalgia. Yeah, it's you know, I don't know if we're, we're far enough past Charmed for me to be nostalgic about it. I mean, I guess I'm kind of nostalgic for Alyssa Milano but <laughs> and Rose McGowan. And Rose McGowan, true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, not as much. Uh, what was Shana the other Doherty? One? Shana Doherty. Yeah, not so much Shannon Doherty. And there was another one. There's a there's a third. There's like because like um, Rose McGowan replaced Shannon Doherty, right? So there's the third one that I can never remember. It's not Neve Campbell, is it? No, that's from the no, no. It's somebody like that, though. <laughs> I just don't remember who it is. Hmm. She's probably... I think she was supposed to be, like, the Plain Jane sister, too, which is kind of embarrassing that, like, now I can't remember who she is at all. <laughs> well, I guess she really fulfilled her role, then, if she was... You can't the remember. Forgettable. Yeah. It's a forgettable <laughs> sister. Yeah. For- forgettable. Yeah. Let's see. There's a little bit of news about the uh, next Terminator movie, which James Cameron is sort of coming back on board for and that uh i think they've already announced that uh, they'd already basically said that arnie was going to be back for it but now apparently linda hamilton is going to be back for it as well yep uh so and it'll sarah be sarah connor back good sarah connor yes yeah well as much as i love amelia clark that movie was <laughs> i couldn't oh, do it i couldn't bring myself oh, to watch it i heard two I've, bad seen, things. I've seen all of them but oh man that one was what was this? The, oh, the Terminator, right. I haven't seen Terminator any of them. Genesis. Uh, Genesis was the yeah. last one with Amelia Clark and uh, Jay Courtney or somebody like that. Is I, I can't remember. remember. I care. Some, some fucking, I don't know. Poor man's actor. Tom Hardy. Sure. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you can't get Michael Bain back, right? So, yeah. There you go. You're fucked. Either way. <laughs> we also got uh, a pretty highly anticipated. Uh, pretty fucking nerdy game that got released last night uh marvel versus capcom infinite oh you boys you're gonna be so excited yeah it came out last week didn't it yeah yeah it was uh it's all right it's not great you you get it and play it at all yeah i uh i played through the story and uh the net plays terrible and the character it's weird it's missing x it has no x-men it's all just like avengers characters is a big like a nice big fuck you to uh, the Fox guys again, so no Wolverine, and uh, it plays. Uh, maybe it plays better than I'm giving it credit for. Like with the limited time that I've had to like learn the system, it, I wasn't impressed. It's very like it's very arcadey. It'll be the kind of thing you like. I could sit anybody down in front of, and they'll be able to play because it's just kind of you can just button mash and string shit together. Yeah, not anywhere near the level of skill needed to kind of like play most of the Capcom kind of fighters. So weren't they all just pretty much fucking button mashers though? Like weren't these games that like these games in like street fighter were like the definitions of button mashers. Not at a, not at a technical level. Like if you okay. button mash against somebody who knows how they're playing, like knows how to yeah. play, you'll get fucking crushed. So <laughs> fair enough. But your, your sentiment is sort of echoed what I've seen, which is that it has generally not been very well received overall. It's just not. I mean, the last one was so good. Like I liked uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Three. It was a really awesome. Like it had a really good mix of characters, and the gameplay was pretty solid. And this just feels like a big step back. The graphics aren't great. It doesn't. It plays kind of. It doesn't play like a traditional Marvel vs. Capcom game. It, it just. It doesn't feel right. I guess to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I want to spend some more time with it. I'm looking forward to like. I'm sure it'll be something Paul and I will get into beers and like play while he's here. So that's something I'm kind of looking forward to because like. I usually would go online and start playing him um, just to see what, like, the one-on-one's like, but the netcode's so fucking bad that, like, I haven't had the patience for it, so it was taking me, like, 10-15 minutes just to find a match. I was like, no, thank you. 
I'm out. All right. And um, from what I've heard and seen too, it looks like a lot of the character designs for the Marvel characters are like straight out of like '90s fucking image books kind of thing. Like, yeah, they're really blown, like super muscular, like fucking Rob Liefeld drawn kind of. You should look up this. I don't know if you can just find art, but like find a screenshot of Spider-Man. He looks fucking horrible. Like when he showed up, I was like, I really hope there's an alternate costume for him because like <laughs> it looks like it looks like McFarlane like with life field muscles. It was so oh, bad. No. Yeah, no. it's really bad. <laughs> so uh, let's see what else. Kingsman came out and uh, is getting generally pretty good reviews. I really want to see it. Yeah, I think I'm going to go see it sometime this week. Because I really like the first one. So, uh, this and this one looks like a lot of fun. Even if it like is light on story or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not what, I, not what I can go into these for. <laughs> I'm just going for a fucking romp. Yeah, I meant to go see it this week. But I just haven't had a chance to go. So, I, I, I want to check it out as soon as I can. Yeah, maybe we can uh, do an episode on both those movies at some point. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> uh, here's a. Well, no, I've got. Uh, let's do one more serious one and then jump into a couple of fun ones. Um, so, yes, please. Back into the 616. Uh, Marvel Legacy started this past week. Oh, yeah. And they resurrected their first hero. And yeah. uh, it was not too surprisingly Logan. So it is, you know, the classic Wolverine is back uh, yep. in the 616. So. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, uh, but I the, the I, I was spoiled already. So, I mean, I know he's back, which is yeah. unfortunate, but it would have been a nice surprise. I mean, he was, everybody knew he was coming back eventually. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and they'd advertised him like on the covers of these books too, right? Yeah. So everybody kind of had a feeling. But uh, yeah, so the, he's been dead since 2014. So like, 2014. yeah, exactly. So it's not really that long a stretch for a comic book character to be dead. I'm sure there's people who have like stayed dead longer, but like, oh, yeah. They've had, uh, there was a thing this week, uh, Jean Grey's back too, so. Yeah, yeah, she'll be the actual Jean Grey, I guess, because there have been, like, some sort of duplicates or whatever. Well, it's not, like, alternate timelines and, like, that kind of stuff coming in, into play at this point, and, like, there is the, uh, I think the, the, the past Jean Grey's still running around, I think the original X-Team is still mm. forward in the timeline and still floating around modern Marvel stuff, so. Mm. Yeah. Which means they've been floating around for, like, three or four fucking years now so by the time they go back they'll be four years older than they were when they started which is not yeah good <laughs> i guess but yeah yeah i'm excited that like they actually brought logan back so that's pretty cool yeah doesn't look like they actually explained how he escaped the puddle of adamantium that he was encased in but uh yes maybe he's maybe we'll find Wolverine. Out. why you need to why you need to explain it yeah because chris you can't talk you still haven't even watched logan that's true you need to. It will make you sad, but it will make you sad in be, a good way. It's, it's good sad, though. Yeah. I just don't want to feel like that. <laughs> I don't want to feel that watching. It's huge. I, I, still, I can't watch him die. Okay, I can't watch him. <laughs> Maybe you want to feel this then. Sonic the Hedgehog is apparently teaming up with Hooters. What? For a promotional thing. So this is a Japanese thing, of course. Mm-hmm. Course. Sega announced it is collaborating with Hooters for a Sonic Forces promotion. I guess Sonic Forces is a new Sonic game or something. Yeah, it's the next Sonic game. Yeah, so you can go to Hooters and participate in some sort of Sonic video game promotional tie-in. Ugh. <laughs> because oh, Japan. That's 
gross. There's a uh, a segment on uh, one of Kevin Smith's podcasts they do, like ho- the Hollywood Babylon podcast, where like every week they'll have a segment called "What the Fuck Japan." <laughs> weird stories about like weird random things that are going on in Japan. I think it was like, last week or the week before panty they were talking about panty vending. Well, th- that was how it kind of started, but like the one last week was like this new photography trend where like. A couple will get into like a bag that is then vacuum sealed and like all the air is pulled out of it, and they'll take pictures of them like flattened into this plastic bag, <laughs> not being able to breathe. That's a bondage thing. It is. It's so fucking weird. But like, this is something that's like legit, like happening in Japan, and I'm just like, yeah, what the fuck, Japan? Yeah, what the fuck? What the fuck, Japan? Indeed. It's like my favorite segment on the show now because like every week I'm like, I don't even know what kind of weird shit you're gonna hear, but it's always fucked up. So. Did you ever watch or uh, listen to the uh, Ricky Gervais podcast? Uh, no. I've listened to like the odd episode here and there, so yeah. I probably missed. They used to do like monkey news, uh, where they would have like uh, just random stories from the news about monkeys, which were always really fun. Yeah, one of my one of the other podcasts I do I listen to does something very similar. It's uh, the 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 one guy's obsessed with monkeys, so whatever they do, like they do news topics, like mm-hmm. that's just kind of what the format of the show is. So there's call out news topics, and they start riffing. They're all comedians. Um, and monkey monkeys and pedophiles seem to factor into their stories the most <laughs> to the point where one of their segments for a long time was called pedophile corner. I don't know why oh. they're all weird, but it's, they just make fun of them. It's hilarious. So it's <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to a lot of weird podcasts, guys. A lot. Of <laughs> yeah, you do, but they're good. I do. Yeah. Um, fucking hilarious. While we're, uh, on the subject of, uh, strange pedophiles. Sure. Uh, maybe kind of. <laughs> oh Did you guys hear this this story about this uh, Netflix cartoon that had a dick in it? Yes, the B one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about this, that. Today. So, uh, episode of Netflix's children cartoon Maya the Bee was pulled after a hidden phallus was discovered by an angry parent. Takes That's me back to 1992 or whatever in the Little Mermaid cover. Oh yeah. The dick in the castle. Yeah, there's a bunch of Disney like weird yep. sex things in Disney movies. So you get you get a bunch of bored animators. Like nobody's supposed to see this stuff, right? So it just kind of gets thrown in there, and then whoops, a daisy. Freeze one, frame on digital. <laughs> one nerd, yeah, one nerd is going through it a frame at a time, and <laughs> yeah, looking for dicks because yeah, sees sex sex in the clouds or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who doesn't love cloud sex? <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was pretty much everything that I had. Did you guys have anything you want to add before we move on? Um, oh, Korea, North Korea. Yeah, that's it's not really nerd news, just sad news, sad, dumb yep. president news. Yeah. Have you guys been watching South Park, um, this year? No. Yes. They called it. Did you see this week's? Yes. Oh yeah. Wait, yeah, no, I saw, like... I saw the one with Tweak and. Yeah, that was this week. So okay. this past week. Yeah, I don't think the new one. The new one's like tomorrow, I think. So, but yeah, though that was I was fucking laughing my ass off. So, because the first episode wasn't great, but the second one, like that, was fucking funny. Oh my god! Yeah, the first episode was kind of meh. Yeah, but the one with Tweak this week was just like hysterically funny, and I still love that they still have Garrison yeah. as Trump kind of thing. Like it's so fucking funny. <laughs> so fucking funny. Um, yeah, he's but- amazing. But I like that, like, oh my god, all of the tweets, they're just, oh, I can't believe they called it. We don't need to talk about it in the end. We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking depressing. 
Look it up if you want to know what's going on. <laughs> or don't, or don't, and stay blissfully ignorant. Because, oh yeah, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting in like ten, fifteen years when we're all going to the doctors and they're all like, "You have this weird deposit of like I don't know what it is in your heart or something like that." And it's like Did you lived through the Trump presidency. Like, yes, I did. It's like, ah, that's what it is. <laughs> feel like feel like when you see rings of trees that have been burned or something like that, and then keep growing past it, that's what that our bodies are gonna be like after this is over. <laughs> <laughs> going to be able to like taste or detect like the extra Xanax like in our fingernails and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, just like, just like, were you drinking, like your liver's fucked up. Were you drinking heavily from 2016 to 2020 approximately? <laughs> or whenever he gets impeached or whatever happens? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, actually, yes, I did take up just injecting whiskey into my veins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Directly IVing whiskey. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I totally lost like eight years of my life from stress. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's awesome. So that, that's that's why we do the podcast is so that we can get away from that for a little while. And... <laughs> yes, it's pretty terrifying, but not a whole lot that we can do about it directly. So just moving right along, foot foot loose and fancy free. Yeah, doobie doo doobie doo, foot loose and fancy free. <laughs> that's probably one of your things. Uh no, that didn't make it on my list. Actually, it probably would be if we if we do sort of make this into a series, which I definitely have enough that we could. Then oh uh, yeah, it could end up on there. Uh, I have uh, a ton of on mentions. Yeah, so yeah, me too. maybe we'll make this a new series that we'll do maybe a little less off often than uh, our top album thing. But uh, we're we're just teasing our audience now because we haven't actually said what we're going to do. But first, we're we have about to it get again. to we are <laughs> yeah we're talking about it again. Um, first, we got to get to our Geek of the Week! Geek of the Week! Geek, 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 geek! Geek of the Week! <laughs> so, uh, let's start with Christy, because we haven't heard from you too much so far. What was the geekiest thing you did this week? Uh, I started Horizon Zero Dawn, but <gasps> just to watch the opening cinematic. Um, and I have done nothing more. I just wanted to try it. And now I've started, I, I have not like fully started playing it, but I'm, I'm just super pumped about it. I'm super pumped to play something that looks good. Something, um, that's, and something that's not Andromeda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just responded to a comment. I know I should be paying attention to the episode and I was, but I did just respond to a comment Michael posted, um, saying that you know he and i I'm, I'm thinking that i might make him do a bonus episode of about mass effect with me so you guys don't have to sit there and um because he's played it too and he was like well it'll take me a while to slog through andromeda and i was like just just don't, just don't do <laughs> watch someone else's lp and make Stop. them do it. Just, just don't <laughs> but um i realized since listening i listened to our episode uh, our last episode. Look at that. Listening now. Going to start sharing it after we have a couple episodes of space from that stuff I talk about. And um, what stuff I, would that be, Christy? No, <laughs> no. So, the longer um, we wait, the longer it's going to be. T- the more we mention it, the yeah. Longer yeah. Be so the longer I'll wait, it'll be. Um, but uh, <laughs> I mentioned Mass Effect every day in my life, and. I didn't realize that I was doing it. Maybe that's the geekiest thing that happened this week was the sad realization that that is. I also feel like, Christy, you've probably got like uh, a sign like somewhere in your house. That's like one of those boards you have in like a factory that says like 
there have been this many days since an accident. <laughs> so it's like, there have been this many episodes without a reference to that thing we can't mention or else you won't share the podcast. <laughs> it's true and sad. Why do I, I, I talk I about this stuff? I hope so it's much? nicely illustrated. <laughs> if it's not, I need you to send me the text. You just said text, Ted? Oh my God, Tim! And I will illustrate it myself. What text <laughs> we'll send did you, you a board? Send him. Yes, I will make him a little board. Yeah, and it will have this many days since tentacle porn was what? referenced. Oh God damn it! When, what, what, zero. What, what, it is back to zero it's now. Back to zero now. What text did you just send him? No, I didn't send. He said what I just said. And then I'm going to make I'm going to make that board for your house. But oh, I'm going to illustrate think, it. I don't think anyone can come to my house then. Yeah, because we've already talked. We've already talked about on the podcast about how Mark has experience uh, illustrating porn. Yes, I forgot about that. Gross. <laughs> but yeah, so that's probably the geekiest thing I did this week. Just sadness. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited to start this new game and um, feel feel good about playing video games again. Nice. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> my shortest geek of the week ever. All right, uh, Mark, what was the geekiest thing you did this week? Yeah, so we've already kind of talked about it, and like the geekiest thing I did was definitely like sit down last night and watch like the premiere of the new Star Trek show, but we'll, I'll let you guys catch up, and then we can have an in-depth discussion about it, or maybe we can wait till the end of the season. Yeah, please or... wait. Don't say anything. Yeah, so there you go. That's, uh, that's my geek of the week. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really haven't... Um... It's been a very short no? time since we talked. Well, no, we talked. It was Tuesday last week, right? It's, yeah, been, it's a week. been almost a week. Oh, I guess yeah. you're right. Because yeah, we almost we've almost rolled back to the point where like we're gonna have like an extra. We would if I got this out a week quickly, buffer. We would, yeah, almost. Yeah. So we record now. I won't put this out till Friday. It's there's there's some time in between. So nice. yeah, it's been it's been a week since we, but we've just been on chat all the time this week. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So even you, Christy, is what I mean by that. <laughs> I know. I've been talking like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. When I got off the plane this morning, I, my fucking phone blew up from you guys going back and forth. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's right. I guess that was probably the, the other geeky thing I did this week. I've I've set up. Um, I've bought a bunch of gear for the podcast so that when we are actually all in the same place together, we can record without it turning into a fucking fiasco of tangled laptops and horse shit. So yeah, I I set all that gear up and like was testing it yesterday, and everything is working pretty much flawlessly. So call back to our Christmas episode. Yeah, call back to the Christmas episode, which was <laughs> technically uh, kind the, of a the Rogue a One shit episode. Show. It was Rogue One, yeah. <laughs> um, so when we do our Christmas episode this year, it won't be. Uh, it'll probably hopefully sound a lot better. Um, we're gonna test it. Chrissy's gonna come by, probably for next week's episode, or maybe the week after. I don't know. Whenever oh, Paul's still in town, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about this already. I know. I'm just teasing. And then record in the room with Tim, obviously on Skype, unfortunately. But like, just see how it works. All this gear works together. So that was. A bit of an endeavor getting all that stuff like set up and like syncing properly, but it was worth. It'll be worth it now that it's working. So, all right. Uh, well, for me, um, I uh, this has been a really geeky month for me because it started out with Dragon Con, and then this past weekend, uh, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, uh, my wife and I uh, went on a, a quick, like, little three day vacation to three or four day vacation to Orlando, uh, primarily to do Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. Um, so for those of our listeners that have not done it before or don't know about it, it is, uh, probably like the, I think it's probably the biggest like Halloween event in the U S at least, if not in the world, but they, uh, 
have like nine different like haunted houses, mazes kind of thing, a bunch of different like scare zones, which are just like sort of out in the park where people jump out at you and stuff like that. They have like stage shows and stuff like that. And we went two different nights and we got to see like absolutely everything. So all nine of the houses, including they had one for The Shining, one for seasons three, no, seasons four through six of American Horror Story, uh, one of the Saw movies that was just like a bunch of Jigsaw's traps and like people in them and stuff like that and trying to get out of them and uh, and then they have like four or five like original properties and stuff as well. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, they have a Bill and Ted stage show, which is dear to my heart because I have a very soft spot in my heart for the Bill and Ted movies. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it was actually the final year for the Bill and Ted show because they're getting rid of the stage that they have it on, which was kind of sad. But Aww. yeah, so it's been going on for like 26 or 27 years or something like that. So basically since like Halloween Horror Nights started like in the early 90s kind of thing. But uh, uh, we also got to see um, Diagon Alley at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter for the first time. Was it amazing? It was pretty fucking amazing. Uh, I mean, I've been to the uh, Hogsmeade and Hogwarts Hogwarts uh, side of the Wizarding World before, which is in um, Islands of Adventure. And it's really cool, but Diagon Alley is like even another level above that in terms of like the level of theming, like for anybody that hasn't seen like pictures of it, there's a huge fucking dragon sitting on the top of Gringotts that literally breathes fire every 10 minutes. You shut up. You shut up. What? That's amazing. (laughs) And, uh, they, um, have interactive wands that you can buy that I absolutely did fucking buy. Oh my Uh, God. It's interactive now. Yeah. I went, I went to Ollivander's and I got my wand. I didn't get like, selected to like be chosen by my wand but i did like uh pick out my own my own special wand at olivander's and uh <laughs> and, I'm, and i mean i've pref- i've said this on the podcast before like i'm far from a potterhead like i've seen all the movies like i think once maybe a couple of them i've seen twice but uh i've never read the books or anything but just like the level of theming and everything they do is just absolutely amazing what uh what 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 does the um what does the interactive wand do? what's the wand do uh, there, there are a lot of like, uh, locations. I think there's somewhere around like 20 something locations around, um, both the, both parts of the wizarding world oh, where that's... you can go around and, uh, you have to cast spells like, oh, in, so cool. Like you cast like incendio or, uh, like locomotor or, uh, how or dare you or uh wingardium leviosa oh and all God, these so yeah. cool. and like uh, and it's all interactive like something actually like happens like you cast incendio on a bunch of lanterns and they all light up That's or so cool. yeah uh you cast uh you cast wingardium leviosa and a little uh like um feather quill starts floating in the air and a window display in front of you and stuff like that and it's a lot of fun that's so cool. Can I see your one? Do you have it? Do you have it handy? Do you have it with you? Uh, yeah. Visual gag? Yeah, this is going to make for really good podcasting. Um, I didn't get one of the character ones, but they had like wands that are made out of like a whole bunch of different stuff. And then they had a little display that said like, this wood is usually associated with these traits kind of oh thing. Oh my God, and they've come up, so far since I was there. <laughs> and I ended up deciding that uh, Ivy was the one for me. So Oh, cool. Is, good choice. Good choice. So this is the box it came in, and it says Ollivander's on it. And then this is the actual wand. Oh, look how cool that is. It's pretty. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> so 
it was a lot of fun. What's, end, what's the end bit? On this end? Oh, no, yeah. What? Oh, cool. I don't know. It's, it's like a it's little like nut or something like that. Yeah, an acorn or something like that on the end. Yeah, so uh, it was really cool. They have like a lot of uh, really good like food theming and stuff like that. Like I had three different kinds of butter beer. Well, I have some butter beer fudge here, right, right here, Christy. Oh. Back. <laughs> and fro- I had frozen butter beer and potted butter beer and. <laughs> and then uh, the other really cool thing was we got to we stayed on property at Universal at Cabana Bay Hotel, which is pretty like geeky for Alicia and I because we're really into like we're both kind of share a love for like mid-century architecture and design and stuff like that so it's all themed like sort of a like 50s like late 50s 60s sort of a like roadside motel kind of thing so it's got like all that really cool atomic age prints everywhere and stuff like that and uh it was done really really well it was probably like the coolest like the cutest hotel room we've ever stayed in i would definitely go back there oh my god i'm so jealous i'm so jealous it hurts <laughs> everything everything hurts yeah so and uh, we did a day at Disney World as well, but the the trip was really about Universal this time, and primarily about uh, Halloween Horror Nights. So really got to indulge my my horror nerd this weekend. Oh, that's so cool! Oh, that's so cool! <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was it for me. So with that, let us get to our Christy <gasps> meat of the episode. Soundtrack meat. <laughs> we should have made that like prettier. <laughs> it was real. So this week, Mark is just like super quiet, nothing to say. <laughs> like I don't, I don't care. Uh, so this week, I asked uh, everybody to basically put together a list of their favorite movie soundtracks. Um, so to be clear, we're not talking about like. Uh, scores like say the Harry Potter score or like Which the sucks. or Star Wars Raiders or yeah Raiders March or uh you know like the really iconic like John Williams like uh John Williams or Danny Elfman yeah. or those yeah, sorts those of scores you know, we just Howard, mentioned yeah. Howard Shore all those guys um, we're talking about like um, albums of uh, music from movies so like you know where they've put together an album based on like music from the movie that actually like had lyrics in it. So we're banging the rules a little bit to include movie musicals because they're sort of an assembly of songs rather than just like a sort of backing track to the movie, like a score is kind of thing. Yeah. This is just them backdoor guilting me to let them do that fucking musical episode. Hey, yeah. <laughs> we need to do the musical episode, man. We do. Him and we I do. Are. Yeah. Talk to, uh, talk to Paul. It'll happen. So first I wanted to, well, for me, just a little bit of a preface, like for me, a soundtrack is more than just like a collection of songs. Like when a soundtrack is used properly in a movie, it becomes an integral part of that movie. Like it almost becomes a character in itself when it's done really well. But on the flip side of that, when you use a soundtrack poorly or like heavy handedly, it ends up like detracting and distracting from the movie and can like totally take you out of it. Um, Like we've talked about a little bit, or I've talked about uh, the, first season of Handmaid's Tale where the like which was really good but the soundtrack just really took me out of it at a bunch of places and I think Paul had uh, mentioned the same thing yeah so I want you guys to talk a little bit before we get into this I realize I'm just kind of springing this on you now but what makes what for you makes a good soundtrack what are the traits that you look for in a good soundtrack well 
that's hard for me because I usually find myself being more when I think soundtrack, I think score. So that's okay. been that's that's a hard step away from me because like for me immediately I I had twenty five different scored soundtracks because I find that I I prefer it when a, a movie has more of a a unique feel that kind of carries the music carries it because it's all by one um, composer and yeah. I like the swells and things like that but when it comes to soundtrack I feel like it just it has to tell a story that it's like what you were saying Tim it has to tell a story that accompanies the movie well if you're going to be using anything that's not original like the ones I've chosen I think are you'll you'll see what I mean yeah it really has to it has to help the story along versus um being in the movie just because it's a really good song right I think that's fair mm -hmm. that's what I would say about that what about you Mark I, I like the um, it's usually because what they'll do and like the soundtracks that I pick will be very evident of this is like they're trying to convey a place in time that they're trying to get across. Mm -hmm. So I think the soundtracks that I pick specifically will like very much like anchor you into a specific period of time. And that's part of part and parcel of like dating a movie, which may sound bad, but like just putting it in that particular like frame of reference kind of thing. So mm. A couple of mine definitely do that. A couple don't. Yeah, but I think that's yeah. I've got a, I've got a little bit things. of both. Like, there's some there's some of them that are more like tied narratively to that. But I think that's kind of like the one, like the the one through line through the soundtracks that I picked specifically, mm -hmm. or at least two of them that like in my top five were very much just like it ties it to this specific like time and scene and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. So. Oh same. Yeah. Most of mine are like that. That's what I meant by storytelling. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, well, for me. Ultimately, a good soundtrack is something that helps to set the tone for the film, rather, whether that's more of like a thematic tone or whether it is like sort of a time and place or something like that. A good soundtrack has a presence, but is not obtrusive. It knows when to feature, but it also knows when to sort of fade into the background. I would generally say a good soundtrack would usually make a pretty cohesive album on its own, even out of, outside the context of the movie as well and reminds you of the movie when you listen to it. So if there's a song that there, if there might be a song that's great on its own, even if you'd maybe never heard the, heard it in the context of the movie, but when you hear that song, it all, it brings you back to that movie, like a certain scene or just the overall tone of, or feel of the movie or something like that. Then I think that means that, that that soundtrack is being used effectively. Preach. Good call. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, I, I really enjoy soundtracks um, that highlight songs that aren't always hits. Like a lot of the time they'll pull like really good like B-sides or sort of obscure songs and stuff like that and then use them in really effective ways. And it can really give a song like a second life, uh, which is I mean, there are going to be a lot of songs on mine that, you know, maybe would not be known at all today. But if not for some of the movies that I'm going to talk about, I'm genuinely excited because I already have my next set like nice. ready. I, I find I'm I'm far more attracted to soundtracks than albums because that's a little more you're heathen because you're a heathen. Because I'm a heathen. <laughs> that's kind of how I grew up was like listening to soundtracks and like more thematically placed music versus a whole album. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think. Cause yeah, I already have my next five all lined up. Nice. All right. Well, before we get into our uh, our picks, uh, the last thing I want to say. 
is basically something we sort of said when we uh, started doing our album list as well, is we're not trying to make like a necessarily definitive list here. These are just our personal favorites, totally objective. We'll probably overlook some really influential or really standout soundtracks or something like that. So that's where you guys can come in. If there's stuff that we miss, uh, by all means, call us out on uh, social media or add in your two cents kind of thing, which you guys have been really good about lately, which has been a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, with that, let us get to it. Um, did you guys have them like ordered in terms of like, okay, let's start at number five then. Uh, so let's go to Christy first. What is your number five soundtrack? My number five soundtrack is Dirty Dancing. Nice. Definitely yeah. a classic. It is not only is it classic, it is all music that makes you move. It was I thought it was all really well placed. Wait, the twenty seventeen version, right? Get out of here. <laughs> Shut your whore mouth. But even like the original edition from eighty seven only had twelve songs on it. But then at the twentieth anniversary they released like a two disc set that I guess was like a DVD or whatever um, with the CD and they added every song that was in the movie. And, but like, even with the 12, the 12 song version, you're still getting like solid music out of it. And it's all classic, awesome fifties, sixties, seventies kind of pop rock and pop rock. Yeah. And I mean, you also get Swayze singing you friggin' <laughs> she's like the wind. <laughs> which is one of the most romantically tragic songs. It's not one of the most. I'm going to take that back because last week or two weeks ago, I got reamed for saying a certain someone was a Canadian treasure. <laughs> <laughs> we got the Celine. Anyway, um, actually, it was so funny when you were like soundtracks. I was like, Titanic. Wait, no. But, um, I wanted to put it in just to be a dick. I legit. I probably, I've never seen Titanic. But I know I've heard that soundtrack a million times. Oh yeah, it was really popular soundtrack. Yeah, it was a very popular soundtrack. not even yeah. so good. But anyway, we're talking about dirty wow. dancing. That's debatable. So. <laughs> James Horner writes gorgeous music. But well, I'm sure the score is. I'm sure the the score is lovely. It's just that Celine song makes me want to. Well, that's your opinion. That is your opinion. From Thirty that's feet out. Right. Anyway. <laughs> But, like, you've got songs like Hungry Eyes. Hungry Eyes is an amazing tune. And, like, it it just, everything that they did, I found that it paired so perfectly with the scene they were in, the time period. It's like all the stuff you were talking about, Mark. Like, it it was sexy, but, like, because this this movie was one of the sexier movies to come out that was still okay for, like, kids to watch. You know, it was still, like, family friendly. (laughs) But between the dancing and, like, just it, it's like what you were saying, Tim, earlier, when you hear certain songs and it makes you think about it immediately. Like like Be My Baby by the Ronettes, uh, Hungry Eyes, Stay with, um, what was that? Uh, I'm just looking it up. Maurice Williams and the Zo- Zodiacs, like In the Still of the Night. Which was the one that was like the... Uh, oh, I've the, had the time of my life. Well, no, I mean, the like, uh, is it Loverboy? Oh, oh yeah, Loverboy. Lover which song yeah. is that? Um, that is, oh my God, I can't remember. Oh, lover boy, come here. Come here, lover boy. Baby. That's what it is. Hey, baby. Oh, baby. Or is oh, it love is Mick, Mickey and Sylvia, lover boy. Love is strange. Oh, love is strange. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But like, 
when they released the the twentieth so. anniversary soundtrack, it had like Big Girls Don't Cry, The Merengue, Some Kind of Wonderful, Do You Love Me, like Wipeout, These Arms of Mine, like so many good, just like yeah. solid classic songs. So to me, that just it was it was something you could listen to in the movie and feel totally like it was a part of the movie, and then every song could be a standalone awesome piece of music. Nice. That's that's what I got to say about it. Um, I remember oh, just watching it the first time, just being like, it's so good. <laughs> so I asked, uh, I'm going to ask everybody to pick one song from the uh, the their soundtrack that really just doesn't have to be like your absolute favorite or whatever, or maybe the best song on the album, even, but the one that really sort of you relate most to that movie that sort of maybe encapsulates that movie the most for you. So Christy, for Dirty Dancing, what song would that be? She's like the wind, Patrick Swayze. All right. I know it should be I've Had the Time of My Life, but yeah. meh. <laughs> the song's so overplayed at this point, even though it's great. But We're not here to make the easy picks, folks. We're here to make the uh, the the controversial yeah. and uh, and deep cuts. That's what we're here for. She's like the wind, Patrick Swayze. No question for me. <laughs> nice. All right, Mark. What is your number five soundtrack? Uh, my number five sound. Well, mine. I, I'm just kind of reordering things because I just realized that like my actual pick was kind of a score and not really a thing. Odd <laughs> <laughs> for me. But like my my original pick was uh, Social Network. But I realized, that, like, actually, that's just that's a score. A score. That's a score. So that <laughs> I tried really that too. It's a score. Even though, even though it is Trent Reznor doing it. Um. <laughs> so I guess my my next one up, like from that, would be the uh, would be the Crow soundtrack from the nineties. Nice. I yeah. That. <laughs> um. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's all, <laughs> it's all kind of like heavy, like hard rock and like alternative and like industrial bands kind of stuff. Like there's tracks from The Cure and there's tracks from Stone Temple Pilots and. There's a Nine Inch Nails cover of a Joy Division song, Dead Souls, which is my song pick um, mm-hmm. on there because I think that's the one that kind of has the most atmosphere in similar with it. Like it was kind of created along with it, like for the movie kind of thing, yeah. whereas the rest of the songs are all just kind of like picked and choose to go in there as just kind of like this is part of the time kind of thing. Whereas like the Dead Souls cover is like Trent was commissioned to do it kind of thing for this or offered it up to them. And that's something that doesn't happen very often and that, and that I wanted to really take just take a minute to mention is that not a lot of songs get written for movies anymore. Like maybe for like fucking Disney Channel movies and shit like that, but for like big budget movies, very rarely do songs get written for mo- like a movie that's not made for kids anymore kind of thing. It's true. Yeah, I'm trying to think like I know the like the 90s uh, that was kind of like the last time that really was like a big thing because like this this album had a couple songs on it that were like very much associated like I think the the uh, the big empty like the Stone Temple Pilot song like the video was cut around crow footage if I'm not mistaken yeah I, I think, I, I, think I remember that and then like there's stuff like the Batman Forever soundtrack where it was like yeah you two threw in like a really good song but it was kind of a leftover from whatever and then it that was also the the soundtrack that gave um, Kiss from a Rose it's big like mainstream bump because like the video that was really popular for that was the one him standing in front of the bat signal yeah exactly exactly from that so yeah um as a side note the only reason i know about the crow is because my mark dressed up as it once (laughs) (laughs) not in front of me but like when it came out for halloween he went as the crow that makes sense that's the right that's right that was right right in our like we would have been right at the right age for that movie to hit kind of thing yeah he's he's a year he's an 80 baby right yeah, he's a year, year old. I see, he would have been like fourteen when uh, 
2014. When, yeah. Yeah, when the crow came out. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, it. it came out in '94. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, no, it was like one of the first, probably one of the first CDs I actually like bought was like the well, maybe not one of the first CDs, but it was one of the first like hundred CDs I bought. It <laughs> was the Crow soundtrack, and I probably listened to at least like a bunch of those songs. It's probably the album that's responsible for me getting into like going back and like rediscovering the Cure specifically, and then like really getting into Nine Inch Nails and Rage Against the Machine. Um, yeah, and also introducing me to um, the Jesus and Mary Chain around there too, which is a band that I don't talk about a lot, but that I do like quite a bit. I think that was one of the things that like we didn't talk about with the soundtracks too. Is like you if you would go in for like especially back then when they would write that have that one specific big hook song um, that you would buy the album for because you may or may not get it somewhere else. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that like you would get to discover other stuff in there. Cause be like I, that's why I bought that Batman Forever soundtrack. Right, it was like because I wanted that U two song, but then I also discovered a couple other bands that were in there. And this is another soundtrack that's like that. Like I bought it because there was like that Nine Inch Nails song was on there, and then kind of discovered a couple other bands like re- like that was where i really hit off with the cure which is like they're amazing right so yeah but i wouldn't have really like gotten as into them if it hadn't been for this soundtrack so yeah that's definitely a lot of mine uh my my picks as well like are ones where like i got it because i wanted one or two songs and then i discovered a lot of other really cool stuff because of it kind of thing too so yeah. yeah, and that's, I guess, so, sort of fallen by the wayside with the way people consume music now, but back in the day, that's kind of just how things went. That was how you yeah. found new music and stuff. Yeah, it was that, and that was also, like, it, it would be so much, like, I guess that's probably the reason why they don't do, like, the, the song for that particular soundtrack, you're just going to get it on iTunes, and you don't have, like, to do, like, I had to go buy the Batman Forever soundtrack to get Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, until they put yeah. the greatest hits out, like, ten years later. Yep. So it was like, if I didn't buy that CD, I never had the song, which was, like, or like the uh, just couldn't I couldn't have that be like a thing. So or I like the smash, smashing pumpkin song that was I think only on that album as well. That was Batman and Robin. Oh right, yeah. One of the only good things that came out of Batman and Robin was the end is the beginning is the end. Was it? Yeah, because there's two songs, right? It's the beginning is the end is the beginning, and the end yeah. is the beginning is the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I never never cared for either of those songs. But that's okay. <laughs> All right, and oh, you said your your song pick. Yeah, yeah, Dead Souls by uh, nice. by Nine Inch Nails. It's a Joy right. Division cover. Yeah. So, oh, check out the original too, though. If you if you're like looking, if you like Joy Division or you like that cover, like Joy mm. Division is awesome. Also, that will be coming up on my album list at some point. So. <laughs> nice. All right, my number five. Uh, I could not make a list of my favorite soundtracks without including a Wes Anderson movie. Um, oh, he's yeah. one of those guys that just put so much work into his album or into his soundtracks. Um, so I, I went back and forth out of what, over which one to sort of include. Uh, I will say that my top five, which was very similar to my top five uh, albums, most I think pretty much all of these I can very much trace to like a certain time in my life, uh, and they all had like pretty significant influences on my musical taste. So that's sort of what ended up informing the why I picked the Wes Anderson soundtrack that I did, and uh, that's the Royal Tannenbaum's soundtrack. Okay. I knew you were gonna yeah. say that. I wasn't sure if you'd say that, so or Moonrise I. Kingdom. No, I haven't actually seen Moonrise Kingdom. It, it was, in the end, it came down to either Royal Tannenbaum's or the Life Aquatic. Because that fucking movie with all those amazing Bowie covers, was mm-hmm. that soundtrack was fucking epic as well. But in the end, this is, I think, the one that sort of resonates with me a little bit more. Um, I mean, yes, it is this soundtrack and the movie is fucking twee as fuck, but as we've seen in my past musical interests, but 
that's the way my preferences just go sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, Wes Anderson, I mean, he obviously does take such an active hand in putting together the soundtrack in his movies. And to the uh, extent where you do feel like there are certain scenes where the song is just integral to it uh, yeah. in the overall tone. But I mean, it's got so many great tracks, like, uh, and, and a lot of great tracks that I discovered for the first time on this album. Um, like, I'd never heard These Days by Nico until this album. I'd never heard Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard by Paul Simon until this. Um, I'm pretty sure this is also where I first became familiar with Elliot Smith as well. Oh, wow. But there's also Clash and Ramones and Bob Dylan and Nick Drake and Velvet Underground on it. It has one of my favorite Christmas songs, uh, which fits in because it's you know, the Christmas scene in the movie uh, from the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas album. It's got Christmas time is here on it. And it is, this is the only one of mine that cheats a little bit because it, this uh, uh, soundtrack album is punctuated by sort of score, like the little musical interludes and stuff like that. But those are composed by Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. Um, and they kind of do make, I mean, the backbone of this album is really like the actual like songs. But uh, a lot of these little, the little interludes are sort of like listenable for me as songs as well. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's one in particular called the uh, Spark Plug Minuet, which is towards the end of the soundtrack, which is really nice. So this one is is one for me where I can sort of track back. Um, this is right around the time that my uh, musical interest started to sort of skew a little bit more eclectic and indie and away from like sort of that 90s alternative and can rock kind of stuff. Um, in like the early 2000s where I was just getting in, you know, like my second year of college or something like that. So that is sort of how this particular soundtrack sort of influenced my music as I was like, and, and it also introduced me to more, to sort of less hard rock, classic rock kind of stuff, like stuff like Velvet Underground and that kind of thing, or Nick Drake or Bob Dylan, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to uh, Nick Drake this week while I was working. Nice. I love that, uh, the Pink Moon album. It's so good. Well, that's album. Actually, um, that's my song pick from the album is uh, Nick Drake's Fly. It's oh, such nice. A, such a beautiful song and one that I'd, I probably never would have found on my own if not for yeah. this soundtrack. Yeah. I own all three of his main releases. He mm-hmm. plays so. beautifully. Oh, yeah. He's his talented. voice is like so haunting. I know. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like there's a nice direct line between him and uh, him and Jeff Buckley. So like I like the, oh yeah, uh, yeah, style. Yeah. So. yeah, I was gonna say I I have only ever seen Royal Tenenbaums halfway through. I need to watch that movie. It's really good. I'm not overly like keen on uh, Wes Anderson's kind of aesthetic for the most part. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I've seen, it's a weird part though. Is like I'll sit down and watch. Like I've seen every movie he's done. Like I was just watching the trailer for that new dog movie. Yeah. Like today, like they were just talking about it today. So it's funny that you're mentioning this because the trailer looks good. Dogs or whatever it's called. I love dogs. I think yeah. the actual. I love dogs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love dogs. It looks interesting. I just like, yeah, his his aesthetic's a little not my thing. So whatever. <laughs> but the soundtrack is it's interesting the way he uses the sound because he uses the soundtrack the way my next guy uses the soundtrack a lot of times. So yeah. and it's weird because like it's hard for me to reconcile like the part of me that likes those sort of like really twee indie movies. With like the side of me that likes to watch like fucking Saw and torture porn, yeah. and, you know, crazy, crazy gore horror movies and stuff like that. But I don't know. Ain't nothing wrong with Twee. <laughs> no, there isn't. It's just weird. Like those are two things that I don't imagine there's a whole lot of people that are into both of those. But yeah, lots of layers, Tim. It's okay. This is true. This is true. I'm a walk. I'm a walking like contradiction. In the words of Green Day. Yes. 
Uh, all right, moving on to our number four picks. Uh, Christy, what's your number four soundtrack? Uh, the Forrest Gump soundtrack. That was on my long list for sure. Good pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That has not only does Forrest Gump tell this absolutely heart wrenching, beautiful story, it does it to some of the greatest music ever created for rock and roll. Yeah. Like you've got Elvis Presley. You've got the Four Tops. You've got Aretha Franklin. You've got Bob Dylan. You've got the Beach Boys. You've got the Doors. You have Simon and Garfunkel. I'm not going to lie. This one and Dirty Dancing pushed The Graduate down my list, even though The Graduate mm-hmm. is in my top well, five. Well, plus we've already got to talk. Yeah, we've got yeah to talk it's in my it. top five albums or top ten. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, freaking, it's got like... You know, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear sunflowers in your hair and like Joy to the World by Three Dog Night, which we all know I covered in my Christian rock band when I was in a Christian rock band. No, 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 we hadn't heard that yet. That's a story for another time. So, (laughs) uh, we, we like Sweet Home Alabama, like they just, uh, and then the the ultimate song for me that makes me think of Forrest Gump and I know it doesn't really count because it is the sweet the but score. it's the Forrest Gump sweet with the feather theme yeah. breaks me it's that's what I want to walk down the aisle to at a wedding one day if I ever get married if I ever get married yes. <laughs> are you listening other Mark he's in the bathroom <laughs> yeah that's a good time to bring up marriage yeah. <laughs> And not only was it set in that time when, like, you know, all of this rock was, you know, becoming becoming real. Revolutionizing. And it, it was it was it was revolutionizing revolutionizing rock and roll, but it was revolutionizing the world too with um, the war and everything. And I just found that this was one of those soundtracks where this music was so deeply and purposefully connected that you couldn't not feel like it was another character Mm -hmm. almost and i just it just told so much of a story and it just did such a good job at it and just so so many wonderful artists and ones like you were saying earlier that you might not have heard of at the time unless it was because of the movie that you watched you know yeah ones that sort of got a second life because of the movie or became introduced to a new generation Mm-hmm. because of the the soundtrack that that's yeah i definitely uh there's some songs on this that i probably would never have heard if not for this soundtrack and this is one that my parents just fucking played over and over again because i mean yep. they grew up in this era kind of thing yep so that would be that would be my number four i don't really have much else to say except that it's just an unbelievably good soundtrack <laughs> no it is and it I, it's one that definitely does paint a picture of uh, of a period in time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, like just nice. solid. So that's yeah. that's what I and then the sweet would be my song. A little bit of a cheat, but all right, because it's so iconic for that music or for that movie. Yeah. All right, Mark, your number four soundtrack. Uh, my number four soundtrack is uh, the Almost Famous soundtrack. Ooh, nice. also on my call. long list. Yeah, I just like the way Cameron Crowe puts together soundtracks, which would become painfully apparent by the time we're done this top five. <laughs> Just because I don't know, he he has a, a really good grasp of like picking songs that are going to emote that response from people, and this is like the best example. I love like the movie Almost Famous. Like it's probably easily in my top five. We've never done top five movies, have we? Nope. Nope. 
but it's it's definitely it's easily in my top five movies of all time. It's a movie I rewatch constantly, and I like I own this soundtrack in like two different two or three different formats. I own the vinyl of it, and I own the the CD like extended copy of it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely like a CD that I've gone back to a couple times, and it's also nice because it's like because the the story of the movie follows the band kind of thing, like that fictional band Stillwater. Like yeah. actually having those guys go in and play songs that were written as Stillwater kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's kind of a nice like little touch to the album, like to the soundtrack. So you get that kind of through line where like there's all the other songs that you would pick up on. Like obviously, I mean, Tiny Dancer is like the big like crazy breakout thing. Cornerstone of that. Yeah, soundtrack. cornerstone of the soundtrack. So that's probably my actual pick um from it, just because like how can you not think of Almost Famous and immediately think of that song? Yeah, absolutely. Like when I think of Tiny Dancer, I definitely relate it back to this movie. Yeah, primarily. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Oh yeah, it was huge. Yeah. yeah. You did you did you say that about an H or a Y? Huge. Huge. It was huge. No, huge. I hit my microphone. That's why I didn't understand oh, okay. it. Okay. But did I ever did I ever tell you that I saw Billy Crudup on um in a in a play in Broadway? Oh no, we were really that's cool because we were talking about him on when we t- we reviewed. When we talk about aliens, I think we were talking because mm. he's in the most recent Alien, Alien. Alien Covenant, yeah. Alien Covenant, yeah. We were talking about how like criminally underplayed that guy is, kind of thing. Almost. Yeah, he yeah. was in the um, he was in the play with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Oh, cool. Oh, that's right. You did mention that. You did, you did say that he was in there with him. Mm-hmm. I just think we got it gets overshadowed by the fact that it was like Ian McKellen, yeah. and Patrick Stewart, right? So I was still very excited when I found out. I was like, wait, Billy Crudup? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, and it, the thing is that he looks so unlike Russell. He's got one of those transformative faces. Yeah, he does kind of... He, he's definitely one that uh, disappears into characters pretty easily. Well, he's also aged significantly since Almost Famous came out, too, which doesn't... You know what I mean? Mm. Also, like, the fact that he's not keeping the beard, like, the goatee or whatever he has in that movie doesn't really, like, lend mm. itself to identifying yeah. him readily after the fact, but... You couldn't even tell it was him when he was playing a blue omnipotent being in Watchmen. That's true. What? Like, oh, with, right. I forgot that was like, him. <laughs> with his massive CG dick. Just with his massive teal CGI schlong. Yeah, so freaking weird. There we go, folks. We got, we got dick jokes into this episode. Yeah. You're welcome. That's what we do. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff on the soundtrack that's like awesome. And like, if you actually go listen to the movie, there's a bunch of music in the movie that's not oh, even yeah. on the soundtrack that's like. I think every scene is, I don't know if there's actually score to this movie at all, but I think it's mostly just like it's scored by the excessive like soundtrack. Cause like the soundtrack, I'm looking at it now and it's like 17 tracks on the CD and then the additional music, other music, there's like 30 songs. It's like at least another 20. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 30, 30 might actually be, but like, there's like the Stillwater songs are in there. There's like four Zeppelin songs, uh, I mean, yes, and Jethro yeah. Tull and Sabbath MC, and MC5, Steely Dan, uh, Young Mac. Yeah. It's just, um, it's hard when you have a movie that is based on the revol- like the evolution of music. You cannot yeah. include everything, but everything is relevant. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think it's an awesome soundtrack. And I think it like flows really well. Like it makes me like, it flows along with the movie really well too. So like it almost like evokes the movie when you're listening to the soundtrack because you kind of get brought back into like, different scenes and stuff like that, especially because you're going back and like hearing this, the Stillwater songs, which were, I'm just realizing now, like mostly written by um, like Nancy Wilson, Nancy Wilson from heart, like wrote all oh, that nice. stuff with them. So yeah. 
Yeah, because I guess they sent all of those guys to like rock and roll boot camp and like they went and like learned how to play guitar with like Peter Frampton and Mike McCready and stuff like that. So like they actually knew how to play the songs and stuff. I can you imagine getting taught guitar by like Peter Frampton and Mike <laughs> yeah. McCready? Like that would I'd be so fucking intimidated just being like <laughs> Peter Frampton would freak me really out really badly, but like Mike McCready is like my hero. Like he's a pro game <laughs> guy, right? So I would just yeah. like I couldn't take fucking musical instruction from you. You're a god. Don't don't talk to me. <laughs> Feel like Wayne, Wayne and Garth. Like I'm not worthy. I'm so. not worthy. <laughs> Which not? Damn it! Now I need to add that fucking soundtrack to my long list. <laughs> that is also oh, yeah. a great. The Wayne's soundtrack. World is awesome. Yeah, the, Wayne, the Wayne's World soundtracks are fucking awesome. So. Right. So yeah. So that's uh. So uh, almost famous is my number four. Nice. What's the song? I said tiny dancer. tiny dancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you said that. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. Can you pick another song off that? Like. Really? Uh, no, I think you're right. Well, you can say one of the Stillwater songs, but like, yeah, Fever Dog. But like, I mean, really, the song that's gonna like you think almost famous, you immediately think Tiny Dancer. So I think you can't yeah. say anything else, right? Yeah, I think I think that I think that's the one. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. All right. Back to me. My number four is this is another one where I couldn't do a list of my favorite soundtracks without picking one from this director. Again, because he just has his hands so firmly on the the controls of the soundtrack, uh, and it's Quentin Tarantino, and mm, I okay, and it was immediately like there was no contest on this one; it had to be Pulp Fiction. I was yeah. gonna say, was it Pulp Fiction? Yeah, because um, that soundtrack was fucking huge. Like, so many people had that soundtrack in the mid '90s, right? I still have it. Yeah, I think I might have bought the vinyl of it too, actually, at one point, just because I saw it somewhere and it was like ten bucks, and I was like, fuck it, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's super iconic. It's right from that first, like, Dick Dale and the, his Deltones, like, Miserloo, the, like, like, right off the bat, like, that's the one that everybody is like, oh, my God, fucking Pulp Fiction, right? Totally. Um, yeah. So. And the soundtrack's cut with, like, bits of dialogue, too, right? Like, you get you get the little yeah. like, snippets of dialogue in there, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since yeah. I listened to it. But, yeah, absolutely. It does use like uh, you get like the Royal with cheese rant. Yeah. You get the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen rant on it. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I like when when uh, soundtracks do that, right? Because it makes you feel like it's. I mean, even a little bit more evocative of the movie, kind of thing. Obviously, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Tarantino gets he does like just obsess over the soundtracks, and he's just got like a fucking. Uh, encyclopedic knowledge of like music of that period right like 50s and 60s kind of thing yeah he likes his, he likes his like wax tracks and uh motown stuff eh? like he's yeah he must have a single collection that would just like make me weep because <laughs> yeah fuck yeah and and he again really integrates it into a lot of the scenes and stuff like that and is just um just masterful at evoking like a certain era and feel even though pulp fiction was set in like the 90s like you felt like it was like you know, sort of a, f- a future past kind of thing, right? Like it felt like a weird sort of out of out of space and time or out of time kind of place or yeah. kind of uh, kind of setting. Um, so in this case, it really called back to like that sort of kitschy, campy, like chill Hollywood vibe. Yeah, it also has a, like a lot of to do with like the like the grindhousey kind of exploitation kind of vibe that a lot of his like especially mm-hmm. his early movies had. Like the yeah. soundtrack was very key to that kind of like aesthetic being. You know what I mean? Like primed for yeah. those movies. So yeah, absolutely. we should definitely do it. We're gonna have to do a Tarantino movie or episode at some point. Definitely, I'm all for that. Yeah, I love those movies. He's probably in my. I'm yeah. I'm pretty. I can pretty safely say he's in my top five directors. Yeah, me too. Easily. 
But I mean, because he works songs so like sort of integrated into his scenes, you get stuff like the that j- twist contest at Jack Rabbit's Limbs, which is my my going to be my song pick, even though that yeah. like uh, Misery Lou is like so identified. But that Chuck Berry, you never can tell where they're doing the twist contest yeah. uh, with Mia and Vincent. Like that is like that is Pulp Fiction to me is that scene right there. So that's definitely my so- uh, song pick on that. But yeah, I mean. Really, the main thing that draws me in and made this sort of the clincher for me is I'm just a sucker for surf rock and surf guitar, and this album has so much. Yeah, this this album has so much good surf rock and surf guitar, and uh, really sort of inspired a resurgence in that music as well. Uh, It became it caught on and became really popular in like the mid or not really popular, but it definitely had a resurgence in like the mid '90s because, in large part, because of uh, Pulp Fiction. So. Well, there was something about them using those, like going back and like licensing those uh, songs to use as like advertising pieces because they're so like short and like identifiable mm-hmm. very quickly. They started using them. I remember in one of my media classes in university or college or somebody, something like that, them talking about like that music being used in advertising because of and like tracing it back to Pulp Fiction because that was that soundtrack of. Yeah. This is 94 when this came out? 93, 94? Yeah. 94 was, yeah, Pulp Fiction was 94. Yeah, fall '94. Hmm. I've only seen Pulp Fiction one time. Oh, but such a good! I remember being very amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's an amazing movie, and it's not one that I like. I own it, but it's not one that I go back to really often. Like it is, it's it's one of those ones that makes such an impression on you that you don't really like. It's so memorable that you don't feel the need to go back and like watch it a whole lot, kind of thing, and catch other things, kind of thing. Is it's not subtle. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't even remember the last time I sat down and watched that one in particular. Like, I'll go back and rewatch. Like, I feel like that and Reservoir Dogs. Like, I don't go back to that often, even mm. though I would say Pulp Fiction is probably my favorite of his movies. Yeah, but I'm more likely to be like, oh, I want to watch Kill Bill again, or oh, I want to watch Inglorious Bastards again, than like yeah. go way back to Pulp Fiction, even though, like, it's yeah. such a great movie. But yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. I have probably haven't seen it in 10, 15 years or something like that. Now, even though it's, I do it's own an it, intense. It's an intense sit. It it yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's my number four is uh, Pulp Fiction. Nice, good pull. Nice. All right, moving on to Christy. I'm surprised that we haven't had a a, mu- a true musical yet. Um, Christy, are you about to remedy that? No, no, no. I don't have any true musicals on here. My ne- oh. my next one. Wow. My next one's like borderline. I don't know. This I know exactly me. what your next one is. Then. All right, there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, my third one is Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, see, that's that was like my number six. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't decide between it and uh, the Iron Man soundtrack. Like this Iron Man two, <laughs> where they just had all that ACDC. I was just like, yeah, it's one of those two. So they got yeah. bumped. Yeah, but I just I think it's great. Uh, I think that they took so much care in putting it together. Yeah, and I I mean it's one of those soundtracks that again the storytelling element. It's so important to to Finn or Quill what the hell's wrong with me Peter Quill yeah Peter Quill who am I thinking of when I said Finn 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 and Jake from Adventure Time maybe (laughs) or from like um, is that that the kid's name from Stranger Things yeah I think no I'm thinking Finn Finn is a superhero from another movie but if you guys don't know it then I'm probably wrong I don't I don't know but yeah so with Quill I mean uh, one I mean you guys understand my my tie to the dead mom thing and the like music tied to emotions around a parent who's gone so like one that really 
saddled with me. I was like, oh, brah, I get you. I get you. I get you. Because my mom always used to sing us the Mary Poppins soundtrack, and it was very cute. But for this in particular, it's just, it was also, I never thought about these songs as being epically, like, awesome, you know, star battle yeah. music. Like, the Jackson 5, I did not picture in space. <laughs> like, it's definitely um, another one that gave a, a second life to a lot of songs, for sure. Yeah. And, like, it's just, uh, Hooked on a Feeling I is the one that I pulled just because it's yeah. so good. Like, I remember when that came on, the first trailer for it, I was just like, oh, I'm gonna love this movie! <laughs> like, I just <laughs> freaked out, because I have loved that song forever. But Spirit in the Sky, and like I said, I Want You Back, Jackson 5, there's just, there's so many, Ain't No Mountain High, like, there's just so many songs on this. Plus all the ones that you said like it got second lives for it. There was just it was it was a, an 80s kids like wet dream of a soundtrack. Yeah. And it really like that tape, that tape was almost a character on its own, right? It was. Like, it, it had was. such a life and such a backstory kind of thing. And I I love it when you use a soundtrack as if it's an, you know, the actual music is playing in the film cuz it mm-hmm. feels so like, you know, like in like it feels like it does feel like a character it feels like an, and you almost feel like you're there with the character a little bit more in depthly because you're hearing what they're hearing yeah mm-hmm. but yeah and it just like it was i just i couldn't get over just how how well they picked the music you know i feel like they didn't expect it to be as you know crazily received as it was but the fact that like they played all these songs with a superhero movie also made the move like the characters seem more relatable because like this was all real music but i don't think they expected people to freak out as much so like awesome mix volume two in the second movie it's still really 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 good but in my opinion this one was just like leaps and bounds better well they probably had a little bit more money to license songs in the second one too so they were just kind of like picking and choosing a little bit more of like yeah (laughs) But Plus, the music doesn't factor as centrally in uh, no. 2 as it did in Volume 1 or in the, the original Garden It does in a couple scenes, but not to the same extent, yeah. 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 So this in particular, just like, I, I thought that it was just an awesome use of, like, the whoever put the soundtrack together was a genius. The group mm-hmm. of people who did it were geniuses. So, that's all. Nice. Nice. Mark, you're number three. Do you want to guess? It's Purple Rain, isn't it? Fucking right, it's Purple Rain. Uh, I thought it might be Spinal Tap. Uh, no, Spinal Tap's on my longer spinal list, but yeah, Rain, that's my one of my my. Or Hard Day's Night, sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Fair enough. That that came up, but it's it's it might be on the, like it would be much further down than this. Um, yeah. I just love like this is like Prince's best album on top of just being like a soundtrack to a really strange movie <laughs> to sit through, <laughs> but it's like it's literally got like some of his biggest hits on it. It's all Prince. I love Prince. Like I don't really have a big bone about this. Like to say, it's just like it's a fantastic album that just happens to be tied to this movie. So um, it's one of those things where like I definitely grew up listening to this stuff. There's some of this stuff like the almost famous soundtrack too is like this, where it was stuff that my mom would listen to growing up. But like growing up in the '80s, you couldn't escape the Prince thing, especially around the time that Purple Rain came out. So it was just like fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still one of those albums that I'll put on every once in a while. 
Um, cause that's one of my, what, I wouldn't say like secret shame or whatever, but it's definitely like, I'm a big Prince fan. It's not something I advertise at time, but <laughs> I don't know why. Cause I love Prince. So whatever, but yeah, no, it's just like, you think about the songs that are on it. Like let's go crazy. Darling Nikki's on there. When doves yeah. cry, I would die for you. Purple, like, and purple rain, like the actual title track. Like that's fucking four of Prince's biggest fucking ever songs. And they're all on this one record. And again, have you seen the movie? Like it is. No. I've never. Yeah, this is where I make a, a an admission. I've never watched. I've never seen Purple Rain. I can't recommend watching it. To be honest, <laughs> it's it's a weird like rough sit to sit through. So it's Morris um, Day in the time, is it not? Is the band? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is actually the the first Prince album that's with him in the Revolution. Yeah, it's like they recorded on. It. So like, it's there's a big. There's a lot of talk like when you talk look at the critical reception of this album, but like where this is before he did this record, it was more like him doing all the one man band stuff. So it was a little bit of a thinner kind of more straight ahead funk sound. Whereas this is where all the psychedelic and like lots of guitar layering and stuff like that comes in, comes into mm-hmm. play. And he had another guitar player on there so he could hide the fact that he was probably the best guitar player living at that point kind of thing. Cause yeah, it's one of those like unsung things about Prince. Like you don't, hear a lot about the fact that he may actually have been the best guitar player alive for most of his life even though yeah. like, you would see other people like there's wasn't there like a thing about eddie van halen being like yeah i think what's it like being the best like best guitar player on the planet he's like fuck i don't know ask prince ask, ask prince yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's so fucking good but yeah like i don't know like if you haven't heard the purple rain soundtrack like just go it's on spotify in a massively extended edition you really only need to grab the nine songs like the first nine songs yeah, and listen to those. It is a spectacularly good album that scores a really weird movie. I guess <laughs> it's definitely something that, like, when we're all back in town and we can get drunk together and do like an in the room kind of commentary, we should definitely watch together <laughs> and just get like baked or shit faced beforehand, and then record our kind of like live reactions to it because it is a weird, <laughs> weird movie. Maybe maybe I'll hold off watching it until then. Then yeah, definitely. Yeah, don't watch first it. time. <laughs> Don't don't watch it till we can all we can do it all like in the room together because that would be <laughs> amazing. Down. Yeah. Uh, what's your song pick? Um, <sighs> Purple Rain. I don't know. Like it's fucking epic. I mean, Purple Rain. I mean, I really like. I would die for you too, which is like like it's probably my like personal favorite song. I think Purple Rain. Like in terms of encapsulating what this soundtrack is, is mm. that's pretty much it, right? Like that. <laughs> And that giant guitar solo at the end where he's just yeah. like ripping it up. Yeah. So. Just fucking shredding. If you guys have some time to kill and you want to go like look at some Prince stuff, just like YouTube Prince playing guitar. Yeah. And just watch him do solos and shit. I've like, done that once or twice. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He is spectacularly good. Like I was just randomly watching the uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps yeah. solo the other day. I was just like, fuck. Gone too soon, man. Gone too soon. I miss you, Prince. <laughs> it really was a sad. A sad, was a sad, sad loss. Yeah, I luck. I got lucky and I got to see him twice before before he died. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, like right when uh, when Musicology came out, he toured that, and mm-hmm. it was my my highest liked or favorite tweet of all time. Was uh, I'm trying to get out of the Prince concert, but everybody's fucking around me and I can't get out. <laughs> it was, like it was it was like turned into an orgy at the end. It was bizarre. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> sexy, like just sexy music, guys. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, pretty much. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to keep up the really sexiness then. 
Christy, I'm very surprised that I'm going to be the first one to have a musical on this list. What is it? Uh, my number three is the incredibly sexy Jesus Christ Superstar. Ah, Christ. <laughs> The, the, really? 19, the 1973 movie recording. Yeah, Jesus. I fucking love. Oh, my God. You're starting to believe the things they say to you. True. You really do believe this talk of God is true. true. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a great soundtrack, but I would not have expected that. Did not expect that pull from Tim. <laughs> I have a really soft spot for this musical. So my sister was in it, like is just like minor role in uh, high school. Like she was part of like the children's chorus for it. Then I was in it at McMaster uh, at MMT when we did it in like 2003 or 2000, 2003 it would have been. But I, I played one of the high priests and then chorus kind of thing. But this for me, like I've heard various versions of this soundtrack, uh, like cash recordings and stuff like that from the stage versions. Oh, yeah. This one's always going to be the best. But this is definitely the most sort of definitive version of this uh, of the music from Jesus Christ Superstar for me. If not only because of Judas. Yeah, no, the performance Judas and Jesus are both absolutely amazing. I mean, all the performances are really, really good. Like Judas and Jesus and Mary Magdalene and Herod and Pilate are all just like on fucking point. I like that it was one of the first like colorblind castings. Yeah, because you had Black Judas. Yeah, and there were multiple like Black apostles. There was one of the apostles, Pete. I think the guy that played Peter was actually a fucking porn star. Amazing. <laughs> Which I only found out today when I was looking this up. <laughs> so that was special. Also, the uh, woman who played Mary Magdalene was of, I can't remember what Asian descent. Oh, yeah, I don't know. She was I definitely of like, yeah, of uh, some, some like maybe like Southern Pacific extent, uh, something like that descent. Yeah. Yvonne Elliman. Um, It doesn't say where she's. Oh, uh, no, she's Hawaiian. But her mother was of Japanese ancestry, much like many, okay, so, many Hawaiians. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a really, really good soundtrack. I mean, it's a fully orchestrated, like full-on fucking rock opera. The vocals are so powerful throughout. Just oh. super, super evocative, super emotional. Gethsemane? Frick. That's my sound pick for sure is Gethsemane. Like it just gets me every time. So Gethsemane for anybody that's not familiar with the soundtrack, obviously I'm gonna just going to assume everybody's sort of... Familiar with the general story of Jesus? No, can you can you tell me from beginning? <laughs> yeah, from beginning to end. His entire, his entire life story, please. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the, the man you are caught talking about. Uh, well, Jesus Christ Superstar just sort of covers like basically the last few days of Christ's life. So it's basically from sort of like the Last Supper. No, it starts a little bit before the Last Supper, but basically like the last few days and like Judas selling him out. And there's a whole sort of really interesting like ambiguity as to whether Jesus wanted Judas to sort of sell him out to the priests and stuff like that. Um, and that's a really cool take on it that I really like. And I mean, even like completely stripping this of like all the sort of later religious connotation and stuff like that in context, the story of Jesus Christ is a really fucking interesting story to begin with. It's and a very interesting. Yeah. And a really, really powerful story. So, but Gethsemane, which is my track pick, is the track basically where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. All the apostles have gone to sleep, and he is basically praying to God. And 
God reveals his plans for Jesus for like the foreseeable future, which is basically you're about to die uh, to save all of mankind. You're going to have to go through this like terrible ordeal where you're beaten and whipped and crucified. And he's like, holy fuck. And he's having to sort of come to terms with all this. Yeah. So it's such a, such a powerful scene and such a powerful vocal performance for sure. But I mean, there's a lot of other really good songs too. Like I'm a big fan of Herod's song. If I ever, that that's the, if, if I ever got to do Jesus Christ Superstar again, I would really like to play Herod. It would be so much fun to do the. It's a really fun Christ. part. Yeah, you'd be a great Herod. I think I think I could do a, do a good job on it. And there's also the uh, when so when I did it at McMaster, we had we had sort of gender blind cast. So we had a female Judas and a female Herod, and the female Herod was this little like four foot nothing girl, like really tiny. It worked pretty well. It was fun. Yeah, I mean it's just a great great soundtrack overall like heaven on their minds a great song like the very first one off of the album slash song and i mean i could go on and on about this but i'm not going to but uh yeah this is absolutely my favorite like overall movie musical album there's i've got a couple others i could have put in here but uh that was the one that ended up sort of edging the others out so that's it cool that's a i would not have called that but now you've said all that it makes total sense yeah I mean, I was raised Catholic. True. <laughs> so I've got that that guilt coming no, coming preach. into play there too. Anglican priest father. Yeah, never <laughs> never goes away, eh? Like regardless of what you do. Yeah. Um, you always, it's always feel a little. Yeah, it's always there, like in the subconscious. I think. Yeah. All right, Christy, your number two pick. All right, my number two pick. Uh, this will surprise no one that it, I am the first one to bring Disney into this. <laughs> Actually, maybe Tim's a pretty big Disney fan. Yeah, I could just see Mark uh, glaze over. He was just like, oh. <laughs> well, as soon as he started talking about Jesus, I kind of glazed over a little yep. bit. I do like the. Um, I didn't say anything, but like the Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack is like, for some reason, got a lot of play in our house, which is really weird. But like, because it's solid. Something we would watch it like for some reason. Like, I think they played it really regularly on Easter. Like, mm-hmm. much more music would play it or something like that. So we yep. always end up watching it around Easter time for some reason. I just have memories of that that's about all i really have yeah and i remember watching and being like enthralled and then not really caring after the fact kind of because <laughs> it's like it's really cool to watch but yeah true sorry didn't mean to no, that's okay back around. so my second pick would be the tarzan soundtrack <laughs> out because... of all the disney soundtracks you and fucking phil collins eh? okay. yeah Let's let's That's true. Okay, let's think about this. That's some great Phil Collins stuff. On it. it has some great. No, it's Christine Phil fucking Rosie O'Donnell is what it is. That's true. Oh, right. my favorite Christmas. <laughs> but no, okay, the Tarzan soundtrack was unlike anything Disney had ever created before, soundtrack wise. Like the fact that the, none of the lead characters ever sang, save the monkeys and Rosie O'Donnell for her the camp song, Crash, Crash in the Camp. camp. And in sync. In sync. Yeah. But like every song was sung by this like professional rock artist from the 80s who got to write and compose most of the songs like as well. Like it was it was something new. Disney had not done this before. I don't think they've done anything much like it since. Like maybe like one or two movies here and there have like scratched sort of the surface of. Which is Wally. also Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Or- I forgot about that. I haven't listened. To- <laughs> I've only seen Wally once. It's so good though. 
I really like the the Phil Collins stuff on that soundtrack is really good too. Yeah. He's and he's also like he's an incredible artist. Oh yeah. And I just remember You'll Be in My Heart broke me. Broke me. It was so <laughs> beautiful. And Glenn Close singing, I was just like <laughs> and like his version too is amazing. Son of Man, Strangers Like Me, like they're just so good. And it's like all like pump up music. Like it's there's only really like a solid six or seven true songs on it that aren't like reprised or sung differently. And then there's a couple, you know, scores. But I think for me, my favorite was Two Worlds. Like the initial opening song was so powerful. And it had that Phil Collins drumming and like just what a way to open a soundtrack. And like it tells the whole story. It's just so devastating, but it's so good. And you're just like, by the end, you're like, oh, it was an emotional journey. <laughs> it was an emotional journey, guys. And like you can hear the movements of, of Jaguar that killed Tarzan's family. And then like also the how he killed the baby gorilla. And just like you can you can hear the emotion and the juxtaposition between the stories. And I every time I hear that, I just picture the flow of the that first you know 10 minutes of it like five ten minutes of opening for tarzan and just like the devastation that happens but how much hope there still is too it just he's i love that soundtrack i think it was gorgeous i think it was heartfelt emotional and like a rock album for not like hardcore rock but like you know a pop rock album for a Disney movie about a man in the jungle. Like who would have thought that was going to work, but it worked and it was great. I do love me some Phil Collins and there is some great stuff on that album. Yeah. It probably, if I had to pick a favorite Disney soundtrack, it would probably not be Tarzan, but that's because Tarzan was a little after my time. So, but I can, I can still see it. Well, it's hard. Disney, Disney has so many good soundtracks, but Mm -hmm. For me, this but it's was, also it, this is personal significance, right? Like yeah. Personal, personal and this was favorite. a soundtrack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, you know, a whole bunch of songs getting together to tell a story like a Disney movie usually does in the way that the characters are singing. This was this, you know, it wasn't like Frozen. This was this professional, awesome composer coming in to create an entire environment of music. Yeah, I'll say that. That's and then my my song, like I said, would be uh, either Two Worlds or Strangers Like Me. All right, Mark, your number two soundtrack. Uh, my number two soundtrack won't surprise anybody either. I don't think it's um, the Into the Wild soundtrack. Oh yeah, okay. Oh yeah, which is also effectively acts as Eddie Vedder's first solo endeavor. So um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen the movie. It's about like a kid who like leaves his material life behind and kind of decides to go live in the the wilderness of Alaska. Yeah. The movie was directed by Sean Penn, who is actually good friends with Eddie, and asked after um, Ed did the did a cover of uh, Hide Your Love Away on the I Am Sound soundtrack, that that's kind of where they met. And Which is on my him. long list. Yeah, yeah, it's a fucking awesome soundtrack, for sure. It's on my long list, too. I was, I was going to bring it up just because Eddie's in it, but I was like, wait, there's a whole album of Eddie that I can still talk about. So. <laughs> Fuck that. I'll do it later. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just it's like nice. It's all Eddie. It, like the whole thing is just pretty much Eddie and guitars, like mm-hmm. acoustic very much. Like it's a very folky kind of album um, where like the, the, the heavy lifting is done by 
Eddie's voice and lyrics, which is something that is always going to get me to kind of pay attention to. So yeah, it's like, it's an awesome set of songs that he wrote in like two weeks and then recorded. And after having read the book and talked to Sean Penn about what he wanted to do for the movie and went and recorded it in like two weeks real quick and then out. And they, he, he even, it was like, I was in like a haze. I completely forgot what I did. So when I, he listened back to it, I guess after the fact, it was like almost like a new thing for him. But I don't know if that's just because Eddie smokes a lot of weed or not. Fair. It's entirely possible. But yeah, it was just like at the time when it came out, like 2007, 2008 was like the end of my time at university kind of thing. So it was very significant, kind of like, oh, I have to move on and whatever. So I kind of like an Eddie Vedder album that's just him and a guitar, more or less, talking about like finding your new life and that kind of thing was going to resonate with me. And it definitely did. So yeah, uh, I think song pick, I mean, it, the um, the cover of Hard Sun that he does, that got played on the radio all over that summer. Yeah, was was pretty popular. My favorite song on the album is actually it's called Guaranteed. Yeah, so that's pretty much. I don't have a ton to say about it. I just like. I think actually, Christy, like out of all the ones that I'll name tonight, I think this is the one you should go take a look at because it's just like Ed's very haunting vocals and like a guitar and like maybe some mandolin and like that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm into it. It's very, it's very <laughs> chill. And Eddie's voice is just like it was Adam Casper who recorded it. He worked with Pearl Jam on. Uh, Riot Act and self-titled, so 2002-2006 albums, and it's just like he knew he was almost as good as Brendan O'Brien as just being able to like isolate Ed's, like the particular character of Ed's voice and emphasize it. And he like this soundtrack is just all like all the little creaks and grooves of Ed's voice are all over the place, and it sounds amazing. So, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I love that, but I mean to be fair, this is my bias. Like I love that man's voice, like very little else in this world. So. <laughs> I really I've never gotten that. Okay. No, no. And the fact that like my next my next pick also includes Eddie <laughs> Vedder and my What's... my when we were talking about like beforehand I was like, "Oh, I can cheat Pearl Jam 20." That I don't have to think about it too much because when they did the uh the biography, they put a soundtrack out along with it. I'm like, "That counts, right? That counts. That's it. <laughs> it's in all Pearl Jam. <laughs> all live Pearl Jam." Yeah, that does not surprise me. That does yeah. not surprise me. <laughs> All right, my turn. My number two is the... So I, I inst, uh, instituted a rule. I told the guys about it, and I think I'm probably... sounds like I'm going to be the only one that actually takes advantage of it, and that it can be like a series of soundtracks or like for a series of movies or something like that. So my number two is Dazed and Confused. And there were two Dazed and Confused soundtrack albums Yeah, that came out sort of one year after the other. But both the soundtrack album and the movie both... This is one where they just really evoke that like mid 70s vibe for me. Like this is what I picture when I think about that time period is this movie and this album. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird you feel like you lived through it because you saw that movie. Yeah. Even though like we were not even sperm yet kind of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like the and characters in that movie are our parents for the most part probably. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and my dad particularly like this is another one that he played just over and over in like the car and stuff like that. Is he yeah. fucking love the Days and Confused soundtracks? Yeah, this is all music that would have like my mom would have been like right into all the time. So it's definitely like stuff that we heard. We not have actually had the soundtrack, but it was all stuff that she probably had the original albums from anyway. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, it not only like highlights a lot of classic artists from that time period that have sort of now become like legends, but it also highlights some sort of 
lesser known groups from that period and really like showcases their hits. So stuff like Fox on the Run by Sweet or Jim Dandy by Black Oak, Arkansas or Edgar Winters group with Free Ride. I mean, that, those are songs that we all know, but that maybe we might not have known for, if, if not, not for, for that movie. movie. Yeah, for yeah. that movie. And the song that is going to be my pick for the album is uh, Leonard Skinner's Tuesday's Gone. Because that fucking song just like kills me. It's it's just so I relate it so heavily to like nostalgia and it's sort of you know wistfulness for times gone by kind of thing. And it's in large part because of how it was used in the movie. The other thing in the the area sort of where this sort of influenced my musical taste is that this was probably my first exposure. Like this came out in ninety three ninety four. These two soundtrack albums and were, were probably my first exposure to a lot of like big classic rock artists. Like it was probably my first exposure to like Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Frampton, Aerosmith, uh, Nazareth, ZZ Top, The Runaways, like a lot of those big fucking powerhouses. So I feel like I owe some of my like love of classic rock and like later classic rock in particular to these albums in particular and my parents yeah. playing my dad playing them over and over again yeah so that's 70s the 70s like fm kind of rock is very yeah. like yeah very much this this soundtrack yeah i still think i still think i still think zz top doesn't get enough fucking respect in the world i like i fucking love zz top <laughs> <laughs> me too my and my dad loved zz top as well and he played the shit at a zz top album. well it's it's so weird because when you like you don't think about it until you're listening to zz top and i'm like holy shit there's a lot of Queens of the Stone Age. Like a lot of what Queens of the Stone Age does is rip right out of yeah, those like top. driving, yeah, yeah, all, all the droney kind of like uh, stonery riffs that like ZZ Top would play for like two and, and even a minutes. similar guitar sound. Yeah, yeah, that that really like hollow fuzzy, kind of tinny yeah. fuzzy guitar sound. Yeah, well, yeah. they're both like they're desert guys, right? Like yeah, Josh is Nevada or like California Nevada kind of thing, and these guys are Tex. They're Texas, but like yeah. it is that desert kind of rock yeah. vibe. There's like a heavy 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 bass and then like that thin kind of reedy guitar over top of it that's like mm-hmm. heavily distorted i don't know we talk about easy top for an hour <laughs> yeah this is where i get to introduce my first so i i have to thank michael taylor for reminding me that i said that i was going to start doing like cocktails that were themed to our episode so in this case i made a cocktail themed to a song off of the days and confused album or soundtrack so i made a drink called deep purple which is gin blue curacao campari lemon and soda water and uh, i'll get mark to like put up the recipe for it maybe with the episode or whatever but it made a really nice shade of purple before i i drank it all <laughs> so it was a, it, it, it looked it looked good because he drank it fucking fast too, yeah you so. did <laughs> you get your tongue no it's not no, no it's not, i don't think it's blue or purple or whatever it's uh it's good if you don't mind a drink with a little bit of like bitterness because the uh, campari is uh, is pretty bitter but yeah so Hopefully, if anybody would like to try that. I also have to give a shout out this week. Before the episode, I actually broke my that little jug that I've been using for all of, for my cocktails. It, it cracked when I was putting ice in it earlier. So, And that was like vintage. Like I got it from my grandparents. So that made me sad. I'll pour yeah, one out that's that. depressing. Yeah. So I have to find a new new glass to have my cocktails or my uh, dance robot dance drinks in. Yeah, so that's my number two pick is Dazed and Confused soundtracks one and two all right we're up to our number one so go to christy first what is your number one soundtrack pick all right i don't think this is going to surprise anybody but my number one favorite soundtrack is the love actually soundtrack (laughs) yeah i can see that 
Yeah. It's not the best soundtrack in the world. It's not the most creative. It's not the most thrilling, but it is one of the most lovely. And the fact that it involves Christmas makes it even better. And the fact that Tim and I are both audibly like typing in Love Actually soundtrack right now so we can take a look at what's on it. I remember Bitsy's <laughs> When You Really Love Christmas. Yeah. But it's also got things like Nora Jones, who you guys know I love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got fucking that sh- fucking Mariah Carey song that has just become oh, I forgot like, about everywhere. That. I was not thinking about that Isn't one. It? It's got it's got Isn't scores. It? It's got beautiful oh. scores. Oh no! Okay, all I want for Christmas is you. It's it's sung by Olivia Wilson on this. Yeah, that's the that's oh, okay. the, girl. The, the girl. But that's okay. the song that that is the, the that's Mariah the Mariah Carey song. song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mariah song. Listen to you. <laughs> but it also has uh, both sides now with Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And Songbird, Ava Cassidy, which is a gorgeous song. God only, God knows, only knows, boys. Yeah. And that, that version, that White Christmas version by Otis Redding is really good, yeah. too. Oh, it's beautiful. Two Lost in You is a really great song, too. Dido, here with me. I know you guys aren't big Dido guys, but um, I... Uh, I don't think there's such a thing as a big Dido guy. <laughs> no. Jump for My Love. It's a great song. I do have a soft spot for the Pointer Sisters. Again, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks to my yeah. parents. And it's just like, it's a pretty solid soundtrack that you don't think about when you're like, you know, when you think about Love Actually, you're not like, oh man, that soundtrack was amazing, unless you're me. And um, <laughs> I just remember like, really, I, I love that movie so much, like just so much. And I have so many good memories of it. I think that's my dad's favorite movie as well, Christy. My dad's favorite movie. You, you and him should uh, have, a, have a, a viewing party. <laughs> it's my dad's favorite movie too. I had to search and search and search to find the soundtrack for my dad in like an old H&M. And then unfortunately, it did not have any of the scores on it, which are his favorite part of the soundtrack. Oh, no. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> the minute he looked at it, too, he did one of those like stereotypical things that someone who's really excited oh, about present yeah, can't conceal. So he was just like, oh, does this have the that theme that I've been looking for? And I was like, no. I like, oh, it's still great. I'll listen to this. <laughs> you know, you can buy the score, apparently. Yeah, you can. Have you since done that? No, I have not. I it's only $8. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, on, on that link. But yeah, I... um. I just think it's got some really great, it's very heartfelt. Again, just a lot of really, I mean, you guys know me, my indie pop and like a little bit of pop rock. It's, it's got it all over it. So, and Christmas. And what's your, what's your song pick? Either uh, Turn Me On, Noah Jones, or Both Sides Now, Joni Mitchell. All right. Because that Joni Mitchell one just makes me think of that scene with um, Emma Thompson when she found out that, Alan Rickman, her husband character, was cheating on her, mm. at least emotionally. And she's like, you know, brushing her yeah. tears away and trying to make the bed and just trying to do what's best for the kids. And, you know, sh- nobody can tell because she's like, first and foremost, she's a mom. And you're just like, oh, oh, what would I even do? Yeah. So that's where that sits. All right. But- Mark, what is your number one soundtrack? Um, my number two soundtrack is the single soundtrack. It's a, the nice. surprise of no one. 
Yeah. The what? Sorry. The single soundtrack, Cameron Crow. Singles, 1992. No. It's sort of a cult movie. Yeah. Okay. It is. Kind of, it's it's not a very popular movie. It's like I mean, if you know Cameron Crowe, you probably know what it is. It's like his love letter to the Seattle kind of yeah. uh, the burgeoning at the time, especially Seattle kind the of grunge. music scene. Yeah, and what kind of became the grunge movement and yeah. that kind of thing. And like the movie, honestly, I don't even know if I would recommend anybody watch. You'd probably like it, actually, Christy. It's a cutesy little like uh, rom com kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. just set in like early '90s Seattle. So it's got like one of the guys is a musician whose backing band just happens to be Pearl Jam, like Kira Sedgwick and Bill Pullman okay. and Matt Dillon and Bridget Fonda. Yes, who okay. that's where my my Bridget Fonda crush starts at uh, in singles, definitely. Yeah. Bunch of Gen Xers in the early nineties. It's actually the uh, they they wanted to commission it and make it a TV show. And then when Cameron Crowe refused, they pretty much like we own the movie, so we can just like repurpose it, not use any of the characters' names, and move it to New York. And then they made friends. And then they made friends. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie's like the basis for friends, which like I've never seen more than three episodes of, and I hate, but that's what this movie is. But like the soundtrack <laughs> is really like a who's who of like nineties grunge bands kind of thing. Everybody except for Nirvana's on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um so like it opens up with uh Wood by Alice in Chains. There's two kick-ass Pearl Jam songs on here. There's a Soundgarden song and a solo Chris Cornell song, which is really hard to listen to now that he's died, like he's passed away. I found out this week mm. while I was listening to it. And then it's also got the band that birthed Pearl Jam. So like Mother Love Bone. I'm sure we've talked about like the, the lead singer for Mother Love Bone, Andy Wood, dying. And like the resulting fallout kind of ended up becoming Pearl Jam like about a year down the line. Mm-hmm. One of their songs, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, is on there as well. Which is a song that if I had picked Pearl Jam 20, which was why I wanted to pick Pearl Jam 20, <laughs> uh, the first time they have, there's footage of the first time Pearl Jam ever covered that song on there. And like you can see like everybody getting kind of emotional because it had been 10 ish years at that point. It was two, in the 2000 tour, whatever. Anyway, total, me totally diverging anyway. <laughs> but yeah, but this is, it's just like, it's so evocative of like Seattle and like grunge and like that whole early 90s thing that I have this weird like romanticization of romanticization. What, mm-hmm. what's the word i'm looking for of like four that i just like i can't i go back and watch the movie every once in a while there's scenes of them like they're at a club and like they're dancing to pearl jam like there's just people in a club dancing to pearl jam i'm like that has never happened <laughs> ever yeah like, where, where was where was i when this club was around i would have been in heaven if i went to a club <laughs> and they were like yeah let's dance to state of love and trust like awesome that's amazing and there's weird little scenes in the movie where like they're walking down the street or like showing off a new sound system and like Chris Cornell walks out and like they're listening to Soundgarden that's on playing on the thing. It's <laughs> bizarre. So it's everything you could love. It's everything that I love about like that early nineties like grunge stuff. So like they go to clubs and like they're watching live performances by Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, all that kind of stuff. It's just a crazy like thing. And it's so dated too, because like the guy at the beginning of the movie's talking about having one of those fucking watches that has like phone numbers in it. And I'm like, this is so nineteen ninety one because like Five years later, everybody had a cell phone or whatever. So yeah, there's a very niche time when you like things on uh, screen where people didn't have cell phones, but like still had or had like the huge ones, like gadgets. Like yeah. yeah, or like, they're like looking at pagers and shit like that, and it's like, oh god, that, <laughs> that dates this horribly. Yeah, beat me, really, beat me. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think this is like I don't know. It's such it's such a good soundtrack. It like it totally brings you back to that. Even if it's you don't have never seen the movie, it just brings you back to that like place where all these bands were getting big and all that kind of stuff, which is just like the center of my musical wheelhouse, really. So 
yeah, it's got everything on there that I could possibly want. Beautiful. Right. Song pick. Uh, I'm going to say State of Love and Trust because it's my one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. But like strong second would be Birth Ritual by Soundgarden, which I have scared the ever loving bejesus out of people with because it's really just Chris Cornell shrieking at the top of his lungs for four minutes. <laughs> it's, a be- it's an awesome song. It's very it's heavy, heavy Soundgarden. But yeah, he's just like a banshee over top of everything. It's crazy. But yeah, State of Love and Trust is like one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. And the only place you could get it for the longest time is again, this is the same story. I had yeah. to buy the soundtrack just to get this song. Yeah. And breathe like was also on it, but State of Love and Trust was like fuck. I love that song. Where is it? Single soundtrack. How the fuck am I gonna get this? And remember how expensive soundtracks were in the nineties? Yeah, like an album would be like twenty bucks, but a soundtrack would be like thirty like or something. thirty. Yeah. So like buying this thing, I was like fuck. I'm paying thirty bucks for two songs. I hope there's other stuff on here I like. And because they had to like pay like, out the ass for all the rights, I guess. Yeah, it's probably the licensing that cost them a ton. Because it's not yeah. just like oh, this is just a Pearl Jam album. This is like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, Screaming Trees are on here. Like, there's all kinds of relatively big name bands that are on there. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Well, we're back to me. Uh, so, my number one soundtrack is going to be a weird one for a lot of people, I'm sure. Or maybe there will be some people out there that will share this with me. We'll see. Uh, my number one soundtracks are to the Bill and Ted movies. Of course they are. I, I knew I, as soon as you as soon as you said we wanted to do this topic, I'm like, he just wants to talk about fucking villains. <laughs> we can just do an episode about the movies if you oh, yeah, want. It'll happen for sure. Oh, I'm sure well. <laughs> but, but so these two soundtracks, so Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out in nineteen eighty nine and saw it in theaters with like with my uh my dad took us to see it in we were on vacation in Florida. I guess I would have been like eight or nine or something like that, and I was just like fucking enthralled. Like it had like nerdy science fiction stuff. It had like just goofy, stupid humor and shit like that. And I was just like, this is amazing. And then um, my dad loved it as well. And so like he bought the movies and we just would watch them over and over and over on home video. And then my dad bought the soundtracks as well. I think maybe even on the same trip. But the first soundtrack, uh, well, these soundtracks in general were probably some of the first like hard rock that I ever heard. So for me, these really influenced me because I'm pretty sure that I can trace my interest in like any sort of like hardier, edgier, like guitar driven music for whatever it's worth back to these albums in particular. Like, I don't know that I would have ended up like when I was a kid, like I was more in like I even like after this, I owned like the first like or I have like dance mix like 92 through 95 on my shelf or something like that. Like I was, I was into like dance music when I was a kid and then these sort of like skewed me away from that. And I was like, Hey, there's other stuff out there kind of thing that can be kind of interesting. And the, the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure soundtrack was mostly like hair and glam metal bands from like the late eighties. Um, and a lot of them were like sort of relatively unknown. Like I, a lot of them like never really put out much kind of thing, put out like a couple of albums sort of thing. Are they all kind of like local California bands too, or something like that? Some of them were. I ended up, that's sort of a, I think, sort of become like an urban legend around this as well. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, they, they definitely did go out and like try to sort of feature bands from that kind of scene, that like SoCal, like uh, hair metal kind of scene in the late yeah. 80s. Um, and there, there's definitely some of that on here, but there's some that aren't. So because of that as well, there's some on the on this album that like have never gone on to do anything else notable kind of thing. But for instance, like Extreme has a song on this album, uh, Extreme that did more than words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like the, you know, 90s, like, slow dancer. Amazing. Shit. Gary Sharoni uh, eventually became lead singer for Van Halen, right? Oh, did he? The guy. Yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. Extreme? Yeah, Extreme. Uh, when Sammy Hagar left, mm. Van Halen 3 was that the one that, like, nobody talks about ever. Yeah. was the Gary Sharoni album. <laughs> Gary Sharoni doing Van Halen for one album, and they never talk about it. That's funny. Because now it's just like, oh, are we getting Diamond Dave back? Please get Diamond Dave back. <laughs> <laughs> That album flopping so badly is what inspired them to like actually start talking to uh, to Dave again. Yeah, that's so. fucking funny. Yeah, yeah, but it, the the song it's got like this song uh, "Play with Me" by Extreme, which I mean, Extreme is sort of known for this sort of like mild, like kind of chill guitar, acoustic guitar song kind of thing. But they were really like sort of a hair metal, glam metal, or glam rock kind of band, and they had this song on the soundtrack called "Play with Me" that had just like fucking screaming like late 80s like van halen style guitars right yeah and like some of the to this day probably one of like the best guitar solos i've ever heard uh in that song but what else i mean there's yeah i mean similar to days and confused these albums really like sort of capture a moment in time in a particular like scene as well like they really do grab that like late 80s sort of like big hair you know big guitars kind of music like yeah sleazy kind of um hollywood boulevard kind of thing or yeah it was yeah exactly pre-axle blowing everything up i think <laughs> yeah yeah for yeah, sure lots of lots of spandex and <laughs> dudes that look a lot more like ladies than they do like dudes so yeah yeah for sure but really, we just listened to that album over and over again. But then by the time Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came around, because of yeah. the success of the first movie, they were able to get, uh, it came out in 1991, they were able to get much bigger names. And there was this whole sort of plot framing sort of narrative about this battle of the bands that was going on. And the Bill and Ted were supposed to be playing in it. And like, well, not Bill and Ted. Wild Stallions. Wild Stallions, yeah. Wild Stallions were supposed to be playing <laughs> in the Battle of the Bands. And so for the second soundtrack, they were able to get a lot of really big names. Like they got Kiss, they got Steve Vai, Faith No More, Primus, Megadeth. Megadeth? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they got a lot bigger fucking names for sure. And then there's other really good songs that weren't on the soundtrack, like uh, Poison and stuff like that. Oh, Every Rose Has His Thorn, the song that I posted for Christia this week. Oh, <laughs> look at that. That's the song that, that they sing to God when God yes. asks them what the meaning of life is. That's right. That's right. They, they, they yeah. just recite Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Yeah. Every rose has its thorn. Just like <laughs> every day has its dawn. Just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. <laughs> That's an awesome so Keanu. <laughs> so I need to watch those movies again. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's just fucking, both of them are fucking phenomenal soundtracks. Uh, and I highly recommend them. Um, Steve Vai's like it. And these do have like some original songs on them. Steve Vai did a original song called the Reaper rap on it. That is just classic, like amazing Steve Vai just fucking shredding on guitar kind of thing. Didn't he kind of score the second movie like with guitar or something? Yeah, he he did a lot of the little like bits and pieces and like intermediary and interludes and stuff like that. And yeah, that, interstitials yeah. and that sort of thing too. Yeah, but yeah, these are far and away like just because of the sort of uh, nostalgia that they generate in me. My favorite soundtracks of all time. My song pick for these uh, between the two of them is the Kiss song that's on the second one that basically closes out. Uh, it's it's the song that the Wild Stallions play after they use the 
time machine and go do their uh, intensive guitar training with Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. And then they come back with these like huge fucking ZZ Top beards and they yeah and they play uh, they play God Gave Rock and Roll to You by Kiss, mm-hmm. which is probably my favorite Kiss song overall and one of my favorite like rock anthems of all time to the to the extent that like. Uh, in like the late nineties when I was like working summer jobs and stuff like that, and I was bored out in my mind. I would like call into radio stations and request that they play it. Nice. And I, it, <laughs> it awesome. happened a couple of times. I had a couple nice. that where they actually played it for me. So, and it's like kind of a deep cut too, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. one of Kiss's best known songs, but it's a really good fucking Kiss song. So I don't know a lot of Kiss. So that was one of my very first uh, live shows was seeing Kiss in Toronto uh, and like, mid late 90s or something like that like 95 yeah, saw, or 96 saw, or something like that them, i want to say psycho circus tour or something like that i saw them somewhere in there yeah it was either rob zombie or a conaline crush who opened for them i can't remember anymore maybe both when maybe i saw them, i'm pretty sure it was ted nugent and fuck who was the other one i can't remember the other one right now but ted nugent was definitely one of the openers for him when i saw him nice um cool. Yeah, Ted Nugent, who's a right wing fucking lunatic. Yeah, who's a fucking prick. But yeah, uh, yeah so yeah, that's my number one soundtrack of all time. So that uh, pretty much rounds us all out. Unless you guys have anything to add. No, no, I think I'm excited to do another one. Yeah, I think we've definitely got more mileage out of this. I got, I got, I've got, a, I've got a couple more I could talk about. I had a couple of TV shows that I wanted to talk about, and I didn't even like. Yeah. And I think I we even know how to frame them at that point. So. Yeah, I think we've probably got an episode or two to to do about uh, scores as well, because obviously we we all have something to say on that too. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I've with got that, scores like just ready to go. You got scores, scores of, of scores. scores? Oh, thanks. You owe me a coke. <laughs> I I didn't realize I was doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, you have any input, you agree with our choices or vehemently disagree, like, for instance, with Christy calling Celine Dion a national treasure of Canada, <laughs> then you can reach out to us. Probably the best way would be on Facebook, which in our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Podcast. You can tweet at us at drd underscore podcast. You can email us at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. If you're not already subscribed, you can do so at uh, Shout Engine or the iTunes Store or Apple Music or whatever it's called right now or the Google Play Store or Stitcher or whatever podcatching app software, whatever that you use. So with that, we shall say good night. Good night, Christy. Good night. Say good night, Mark. Good night. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Be excellent to each other.